five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! And here we go with the Smashing Pumpkins review with our special guest. Oh, wait a minute. Before I introduce him, Edwin, how are you doing, brother? Nah, I'm all right. I'm all right. How? Why wouldn't I be all right? We got the one and only Mike Sears joining Woo! us. Hey, Thanks Mike. So Thank you so much, brothers. I appreciate it, man. Yes, yeah, invite. Well, of course. Anytime, Mike. You know, I had a lot of fun doing your, uh, your show. And uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about your show? Uh, I'm the host of Speaky Club Podcast. It's every Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You know, like dominantly hip hop, but I'm also a metal slash rockhead too, so I gotta cover that as well. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. I came. Well, I did the Black Sabbath Volume Four episode. We uh, had a good discussion with that. You know, I was getting my drink on a little bit. I think you were getting your weed on. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so. We were both feeling good. That's all I could say. You could tell. There was a lot of love going on. <laughs> yeah, I was high and happy that episode for sure. Though. Yeah, good times. And right right now, I'm drinking some, uh, I got a little fancy uh, to, tonight. I'm drinking some uh, cognac, some uh, cognacier. Uh, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I don't know French too well. You know, but I, I have classy taste, but I'm not an entirely 100% classy guy. <laughs> but, <laughs> get that good old yak. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff, especially uh. I mean, this this is like a thirty thirty dollar bottle of cognac, you know. My grandpa <laughs> loved uh, some cognac. I'm upper middle class, man. <laughs> I I'm right now drinking some. Uh, uh, I, this is all we had in the house, and it's not payday week, so I'm kind of on a budget right now. It's Arbor Mist. It's basically. It's basically cheap Walmart wine for people that can't handle the taste of wine because this it literally feels like I'm drinking cool like real like old Kool Aid is what it tastes like. That's funny as hell. Well, you know, a lot of people know cognac is essentially wine. It's essentially wine. I learned this in bartending school actually. It's wine. What is bartending school? Yeah, what's a lot. A lot, lot of things in my past. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> not as many things as in your past. <laughs> but, uh, I, but I was, a, uh, I went to bartending school, and they taught me that cognac and brandy, it's essentially wine, but it's distilled like whiskey. So it's like they get grapes, but then they act, they treat it like it's whiskey. <laughs> so I never knew that. So it's interesting. So it's like yeah. I didn't know it either. Yeah. So I don't think a lot of people know that. But yeah. So it's it's wine that's been given the whiskey treatment. So that's why it tastes a little like, I don't know, some kind of hybrid between the two. Hey, Mike, are you drinking or smoking or doing anything right now? No, I'm 100% sober right now, man. All right, all right. Okay, that's, okay. So maybe I had to go out before this episode, so I was on the road before this episode. So. Yeah, well, maybe you'll get a contact drunk from uh, talking to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, i got, I got to lead this off. Now, Smashing Pumpkins, and I like saying Smashing Pumpkins. I know they kind of... Billy changed the name of the band. It's a subtle name change, but with the third album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, they suddenly became The Smashing Pumpkins, yep. which, you ever notice that, Mike, that they 
They yeah. kind of, they switched it up a little bit. Now, what it does is it makes smashing a adjective. So it's kind of a little bit of a play on words, like it's a joke, like, ooh, with the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, whereas with the first two albums, they're just Smashing Pumpkins, which is more like a verb. It's like a little, it's a little harder. I like it better that way. I like just saying Smashing Pumpkins. I'm old school. <laughs> the, write, the writer in you just came out with all that. Yeah. I thought like I was in English class. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know like <laughs> verbs and adjectives and shit. So anyway, uh, when I, I came into this band, it was a very special time, you know, and I, we, you hear a lot like on the RMCP, they, Ian and Ralph talk about timeline bands. Like, there are certain, I noticed that there's certain like rock and metal bands that like we all kind of love, you know, like we all love like Judas Priest or like early Metallica or Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, oh, yeah. like, like we all kind of love those bands. But then there's some bands that are just timeline bands that I noticed that that's where the different opinions come in. You know, it's like how Ralph loves Ario Speedwagon, but Ian hates them. You know, like like there's like certain bands like that. Ian loves Turbo. He loves that, and uh, like Mick Watkins loves Marilyn Manson. And hey, Mike, don't you like love the Insane Clown Posse? Oh yeah, man, all yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, that's a total timeline. <laughs> yeah, that's like we all have those bands. Like there's bands that we all love, like Sabbath. But then there's some bands that just seem to be a timeline band. It's just something I noticed. Like, you gotta be in a certain generation. I don't know. It seems like 35 to 45 is kind of the sweet spot for Smashing Pumpkins, I've noticed, you know? <laughs> you were either maybe in junior high or high school in the 90s. Were you in junior high, uh, Mike? I was in elementary school when I got to so you, you got, <laughs> So you got into them pretty young, actually. Yeah, I was 10, 95. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. I was ten. I was in the Kiss. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I fucking love Kiss, bro. Oh yeah, I got my ass kicked so much in elementary school for being a Kiss fan. I, I remember too, like I went to the farewell tour, came to came to school with my Kiss shirt, and I remember kids like squirting juice boxes on me. Man, I, I took so much shit, man, because I was I was a weird kid that was into all the weird old movies and old music. Yeah, well, you know, it's just, hey, that's that's living life on the edge. And, oh, yeah, man. You, know, you got to put yourself out there. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a, I, I don't think people would have beat me up for liking Smashing Pumpkins, uh, in the, especially at that time period, because they were a very popular band. Yeah. It, it, that's the thing, is like going from junior high into high school, I was kind of the perfect age for this band. And the thing is, they were the first band that I can think of that I got into with the first album before everyone else listened to them. Like, almost all these other bands were already fairly established. Like, I got into Metallica, like, after Injustice For All came out. You know, I got into Megadeth, like, after uh, So Good, So, you know, What, you know. And, and almost all these bands, uh, I think ACDC, it was like, after uh, it Blow Up Your Video. Like, all these bands I got into after they were already established. In some cases, like... For decades, like ACDC, you know, going back to the 70s. So I didn't, and then, you know, I started to, like, get into different kinds of music. Like, you know, going from elementary school to junior high, it was like hard rock. And then in junior high, I got into thrash. I got into in Metallica, Testament, Megadeth. And then right as I was on the cusp going from junior high to high school, and this is like early 90s, I started to open my mind up to... I guess what people would call alternative rock. I just call yeah. it all, all rock. I don't give a shit. It's all rock and roll to me. But, <laughs> but people would call it alternative rock. And I talked to, I have a YouTube video. My most recent one is actually about Sonic Youth, 
where I talk a bit about it. And I got into Sonic Youth this period, but Sonic Youth was already around for a few years, especially in the underground. And uh, so this, but Smashing Pumpkins, it was with their first album, Gish, which was on Caroline Records. I remember it was on 120 Minutes. Now, you guys, you're, t- you're both young, so you probably don't remember this show. This oh, was, I, I do. I do. Okay, it was like Alternative Nation before it was called Alternative Nation, like if you remember that. Like they changed it a few years later to call it Alternative Nation. Essentially, it was like Headbangers Ball, but for like more alternative stuff, more uh, college oh, rock. Yeah, or even college rock. Like you'd get stuff like R.E.M. and, and The Smiths, you know, things yeah. like that. The Cure, stuff like that. And I think it was on 120 Minutes where I saw Siva, which was their first video. Awesome song, psychedelic metal track. And I just instantly fell in love with the band from the song and the vibe. I was like, oh, and I thought, it's a cool name. I was like, oh, Smashing Pumpkins, that's a cool name. I was always like a Halloween kid. Still, I, you know, I love Halloween. So oh, I just, yeah. yeah they, they were called Pumpkins. I just, I thought, it was, I liked everything about the band. I liked the video. I liked the song. I liked the name. So I instantly ran out and bought this tape. And I was the only kid I knew. No other kid knew Smashing Pumpkins. And so the thing is, when you get into a band, that at the underground stage before they blow up, you kind of uh, they they become like your band. Like you think mm-hmm. of them as like that's my band. <laughs> like you yeah, know, because you got all your friends in some. You knew them before they were big. So yeah, yeah it's it's more special. Yeah, there's kind of an ownership. Like as much as I loved a lot of those other classic metal and rock bands, I didn't have the same ownership that I had. I felt that I had of Smashing Pumpkins. Now this could go two ways. There are some people that when the band then breaks, you know, breaks out and becomes big, they don't like it. They're like, oh, they sold out, or now everyone likes them, and they get like a real, you know, kind of bratty attitude about it. Yeah. I wasn't like that. I was the opposite. I was like, hey, good for my band. I was happy. I was happy when <laughs> this album came out, Sami Stream, and I knew. Uh, I couldn't say I knew it necessarily of Chair Brock, but we'll talk about it when we get to the, the third track on the album. But I was a first day buyer on Siamese Dream because I already, like I said, Gish was one of my favorite albums of 91. And by 92, you know, I was into all that grunge shit. I was into Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. I don't, you know, think of Pearl Jam as grunge, but we'll throw them in there. Anyway, but <laughs> I was into all that shit. So, but. In the back of my head, I was like, when is Smash Pumpkins going to drop another one? And of course, I had the signal, uh, the, si- uh, the singles, the single soundtrack, <laughs> uh, where they had Drown. That epic track, Drown, that closed that album, and that really whet my appetite. I was like, ah, oh, Drown's like so awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what the next album's going to be. And I heard it was going to be their major lab- label debut. They were... Now going to be on the major major label, and there was a buzz. I was reading like uh, rock magazines and stuff, and people said, "Oh, they'll be like the next Nirvana." It, there be, it's the album's being produced by Butch Vig, who produced Nevermind. So there was anticipation, and I remember, I, and I don't know, it, they might they were one of those bands like Nirvana that in the early days you would see some of their videos on either Headbangers Ball or 120 Minutes. They kind of straddled that line a little bit. So I can't say where I saw Cherub Rock first. If it was, it was either 120 Minutes or Headbangers Ball. Because I saw the premiere. I saw the premiere of Cherub Rock and it blew me away. All I can say is that video, that song, it was everything I hoped that the follow-up to Gish would sound like. And I was so excited. I'll talk more about what I think of the song when we talk about it. But I was so excited. 
first day, I went to We Three Records. I still remember with my allowance money, my allowance money, and, <laughs> and I and I bought it and I brought it home. And I still remember to this day. It's one of those things. I said this about like uh, on the RMCP about the Use Your Illusion albums once. I think that I remember with my YouTube video. It was some shit like that. Yeah. I remember, like. I remember listening to the album track by track. I don't do that. I don't. Not every album I can remember every song as I heard this. It's kind of like I'm sure you feel like that Wu Tang Forever, Mike. You know, like you remember sitting there and how you felt about each song as you hit. And this album was like one of those albums. Like, uh, and that that album's actually an album like that too. I remember listening Wu Tang Forever because I was first day buyer on that one too. But. Siamese Dream, I remember sitting there in my room in my parents' house, you know, and listening to it track by track. And I just listened to it again for the first time. Actually, I haven't listened to it in its entirety in actually a year or two. I, you know, heard some of these songs like on Shuffles and shit, but I haven't actually sat down and listened to Siamese Dream in its entirety uh, in about a year or two. But believe me, as a teenager, I listened to it almost like every fucking day. It was... It blew me away. I love the album. You'll hear what I think of it now, all these years later. But I can tell you, I remember, and I remember when I heard today, and we'll talk more about it. But it was, <laughs> it was the moment that I knew they were going to blow up. As soon as I heard that song, because it wasn't released yet. Terror Brock was the only song that was released. But as soon as I heard that song, and then yeah, there was another one too, a few songs later that I heard, and I was like, oh well, okay, they got hits on this album. I, I felt like I'm an A and R guy, like. <laughs> It's a middle-aged A&R. <laughs> <laughs> hit! <laughs> this kid's got a hit song. But as soon as I heard it, I knew. I was like, oh, that's it. Smashing Pumpkins aren't going to be just my band anymore. They're, they're gonna, going places. They're going places. That's a fucking hit song. And sure enough, I was right. And I was, you know, it, ma- it made me feel good about myself. Like, hey, I could pick a hit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, and I followed them. You know, of course, Melancholy, Infinite Sadness. They got, that's their peak. You know, that's the, as big as they would get. And I was first day buyer for that album. I remember listening to all those songs, same thing. And I stuck with them, you know, only in recent years. And I'll talk more about this at the end of the, you know, of the episode. But I, I really tried hanging with the Smashing Pumpkins. In recent years, I've more or less given up on them as a, as a group. But man, that '90s shit. I always loved their 90s shit, you know, and I even, even an album I wasn't a crazy about initially, like Adore, I love Adore now, now I think it's a great record, but the 90s shit's great, they're one of those bands, they're a timeline band, I know some metalheads hate them, and we'll talk a little bit about that <laughs> as we hit certain songs, and the reasons why I think some metalheads are a little hard on them, uh, both in terms of the music and their image, I think, in a big way. But we'll talk about this a little bit as we get to it and, you know, do it. But, yeah, they're one of my favorite bands. Even though I mainly just love their 90s shit, it, it has a very special place. This music has a very special place in my heart. They're, they were my favorite band in high school. And they, uh, you know, so you, you, it's like you never forget your first time, you know. They, mm-hmm. And they were my band. So, Mike, what's your history with uh, the Smashing Pumpkins and little Mike Sears in elementary school? <laughs> Mike, real quick though, how how old are you uh, before you go into it? Just so I can get a sense of timeline. Oh, I'm 36 years old right now. 36. Okay, shit. So he's he's definitely a little bit older than me that I expected. Yeah, you were a fucking baby when this came out. <laughs> I was a baby, man. <laughs> before I even like actually collected music, it was in '93. Uh, my granddad was on the. I remember this like yesterday. He was sleeping on the couch. I was on the floor. We had cable back then, so. And it's so funny that 
uh, Eddie mentions uh, 120 minutes because that's where I first seen him. But it wasn't like the video, they were filming it. Sherb Rock. Oh, yeah, I remember that performance. Yeah, yeah I remember that like it was just there. It was ringing in my dome, you know? And, um, but it wasn't until like two years later when I seen Bullet with Butterfly Wings video. And I just had to have the album. Knowing Kylie and Infinite Sadness. And it came in October 95. I got it around Halloween, the double cassette. And I played that shit in my Sony Walkman, the tape Walkman, non stop. So that made me a Pumpkins fan. And, perfect uh, time to fall. You know, the yeah, the perfect Halloween band. And besides uh, Kimberly from Power Rangers, uh, Darcy Ooh. was like my, like, oh, damn, that bitch is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. I had a crush yeah. on her too. Oh, I, I love Kimberly and I love Trini too because I love Asian women. Oh, hell yeah. Shout out to Trini, your RIP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. The Melancholy made me a fan, and then my cousin Holly, shout out to her, she always played 1979 like crazy, and I just worshipped that song as well. And then I went back and got Simon's Dream on cassette, and, you know, got Gish later on in life when they started collecting CDs like in 98. Yeah. Like they're great, especially the 90s stuff, they're a great headphones fan because they're so oh, yeah. layered. There's all the guitar stuff, and there's just so much... The, the production it's just so layered that you just you, know, you it's just like headphone you know it's like a headphone candy factory of just all these different sounds coming in and out and guitars fading and jumping between the speakers I'm gonna say this later on but like Billy Clogan's guitar song in this record is outstanding I love that shit it's outstanding guitar work and you're gonna hear me gush a lot about Jimmy <laughs> Chamberlain the drummer uh, oh yeah he's crazy on this um, you're gonna hear me too, man. That's one of the biggest things to sound is some of that drum work. Yeah, he is generally. It's like even people don't like the Smashing Pumpkins. Pumpkins will say, "Yeah, but Jimmy Chamberlain is a great drummer." <laughs> like that's usually the one thing that they'll 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 like give in on. But yeah, uh, yeah so what what about your uh, history, Air, with for Snapper, uh, who <laughs> only only knows the hits of Smashing Pumpkins? Yeah. And not so crazy about them from what you've heard. Um, so basically, um, I was born in 93, but it, you know, even me though, like you can't really say anything about like timeline with me because I, I was always like the weird kid. I always like old stuff. I always like to go against the grain of what was popular at the time. Uh, but I, I mean, I grew up liking Kiss at a very young age too. Uh, I was like six years old. I got into Kiss and from there, you know, I got into, you know, mainly heavy metal and hard rock music. Uh, yeah, I mean, even like Power Rangers, like we were just talking about, I was into Power Rangers when it, you know, by the time I was a kid, it was all about Pokemon, and I, I was like, man, fuck that Pokemon shit, I wanted to go against the grain, I was into Power <laughs> Rangers, which already a baby thing, but Smashing Pumpkins, um, I can't remember when it was that I heard them, it was maybe like third grade, I heard, uh, Bullet with the Butterfly Wings on, uh, on the radio when my mom picked me up from my dad's house. My parents were divorced at the time and my mom worked nights so I'd spend the night at my dad's and my mom would pick me up. So there's a lot of, a lot of very early mornings, still dark outside, my mom picking me up and I'd hear songs on the radio or whatever CD it was she was playing and I discovered so much new music that way. And I heard Bullet with the Butterfly Wings and I was just hooked. I'm like, whoa, like what was that, you know? and. My mom was like, it's Smashing Pumpkins. I thought, hmm, weird name. Uh, so I had her borrow me uh, the CD, The Greatest Hits, 
and I'm looking. I thought the song was called Rat in a Cage. Yeah. And so I'm looking for the song. I'm like trying to skip through tracks and like figure out what song it was. And I'm like, Mom, what the, where's that Rat in a Cage song? She's like, oh, it's called Bullet with the Butterfly Wings. I'm like, what? You know, so I'm like, why, why the fuck do they call it that? Um, so I listened to that song and I, I love it. I still love it to this day. I mean, it's a cool song. It's always pumps me up, you know, and I'm a hockey fan. So anytime there's like a, anytime I go to a hockey game and there's a fight, they're always playing that song on the PA system. Gets you pumped up, man. But I heard the rest of the album and just, it didn't do much for me. And as years would go on, I just could not get into the Smashing Pumpkins. I heard like mainly the hits. And, you know, like 1979, which I, you know, I'm, I agree with like Ralph Vieira. I'm just not a fan of that song. Uh, sorry, I apologize, Mike, but yeah, I just, I could not get into that song. It just, the rest of their music didn't do it for me. It didn't give me the same rush that, uh, Bullet with the Butterfly Wings did. Um, I remember seeing them too on the Bozo the Clown show. They had like the last episode of Bozo the Clown, which I'm from, you know, Illinois. So that Bozo the Clown's kind of an Illinois thing. And Smashing Pumpkins were actually on there because they are from Chicago and they actually did a cover of Forever Young as like a tribute for like the last Bozo episode. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I just never got into Smashing Pumpkins. Everything I'd hear by them just didn't do much for me. And I was always kind of, I was kind of like a hair metal kid like in high school and I was kind of very anti grunge. Whereas a lot of that stuff nowadays I've grown up and wised up i i love a lot of it you know there's a lot of nirvana uh allison chains a lot of that grunge stuff i do like so when you came up when you mentioned edwin that we were going to be re- reviewing this album i made sure to like kind of go into it with an open mind and really give it a chance and i will say you know spoiler alert there's half this album i really not gonna like but then there's a lot of this album too that i actually was very surprised by so I guess this would be a good time to start going in track by track. Yeah, okay. And well, since you're our guest, Mike, uh, let's start with you. What do you think of the opening track and the lead-off single, Cherub Rock? Oh, man, Cherub Rock. Love the drum roll from Jimmy Chamberlain in the beginning of the track. Uh, Billy Cogan's guitar tone on this song throughout the whole album is incredible, as I stated earlier. Uh, Billy said the song is about his relationship to the indie world. I uh, love the guitar solo on here as well. One of my favorite songs on the album. It was, like you said earlier, it's like made to be a single, you yeah. know? And it starts off the record greatly. Love this song. Yeah, uh, I'm, I might gush for about five minutes. But <laughs> I'm not going to do this for every song. Okay, this, this is the headline here, though, and this is why I've been holding back. Something I've never revealed to anyone on any podcast or on my YouTube channel or anything. But this is going to blow you away. I think Chair of Rock is the single greatest 1990s rock song ever. There you go. Right. Don't any song from any band that's better than Chair of Rock in the 1990s. Yeah, there's a few better from the 80s, 70s, and 60s. But nothing better in the 90s, and I love a lot of 90s rock. It's, I think it's the, I always thought that. Since the first time I saw this video to just listening to it again, I think it's the greatest rock song of the 90s. It's Everything, that drum roll in the beginning, the guitar work, the production. Yeah, it's just the thing that, and you you hear this throughout this whole album, especially on the heavier tracks, is Billy gets that master reality, you know, volume four kind of mm. fuzzy Sabbath sound on the guitar. He obviously studied that tone. And I know he's talked up master reality quite a bit in, the, in the interviews too. So he obviously listened to those albums and 
and was trying to figure out how can I get my guitars to sound that way. Him and James Ia, they get the guitars to sound that way, but you know, apply it in a different way. And then you got Jimmy Chamberlain, who I think, like Bill Ward, is one of, who should have. If Black Sabbath had to play someone other than Bill Ward, it should have been Jimmy Chamberlain. He should have been the drummer on Thirteen. It would have helped a lot. Oh yeah. Because you hear he does that thing that Bill does, where you can hear that there's a jazz influence. Because he's just like constantly doing shit while also keeping the beat at the same time, and it's a it, usually band drummers go one way or the other. Like it's either they're just making a lot of noise and not really keeping the beat, or they're just keeping the beat. Jimmy's somehow doing everything. Like he's just if you listen to it, kind of like again like you know just like Bill Ward, he's like like the guitars create kind of a sheet of sound. And he's the thing that's punching out, like punching out, like coming out of the music a bit. Like he's the real 3D thing about the music, and it's it's amazing. Like he's just such an amazing drummer, and I'm surprised more people don't talk about him. Like yeah, when people talk about Smashing Pumpkins, they do talk up his drumming, but outside of a conversation about Smashing Pumpkins, I never hear his name get brought up as like best drummers ever in rock. And I think he's in there. He's a top five best drummer for me. It's amazing. And to me, that's what it comes down to. And no disrespect to James Ia, I think he contributes some good stuff here. But it's Billy and Jimmy. That's Smashing Pumpkins. You know, you get Billy in there. He plays a lot. He plays all the bass parts on the record. Uh, he does a lot of the guitar parts. Writes all the songs. But without Jimmy Chamberlain, it ain't Smashing Pumpkins as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> amazing. Everything about it. Like Mike said, this song's actually about. It's about how he. Doesn't want to be part of the underground anymore. It's actually what's cool. At a time where everyone in the grunge community was all playing up, like let's be as, you know, let's all be anti-mainstream. Let's yeah. not like sell out. Well, Billy Corgan, and this is something that a lot of people didn't like about him, especially other musicians and people in the Seattle scene hated him. Was he was coming out and saying, "No, I want to make a lot of money. I want to be a big famous rock star. <laughs> Fuck this underground stuff." That's what he's saying when he says, "Let me out." He's saying, "Let me out of the underground." Is what it's about. And this idea of chair rock is he's like he's speaking out against this holier than thou underground rock aesthetic. And even though the music is very grungy. And like the, his kind of snarling kind of vocal approach, the lyrical content is actually kind of、uh, against the grain of the time period. It's it's a, actually an anti like a、uh, pretentious grunge rocker that doesn't want to sell out to the mainstream song. You know, he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go mainstream. Let's go all the way here. Let's do this big fucking well produced rock album that has lots of guitar solos and a really layered production and hooks and choruses. Fuck yeah! This is my time to shine. This and melancholy and the infinite sadness are Billy's time to shine, and he fucking、uh, goes all the way with it. Goes all the way with it, and maybe it's like about that. There's something about Cherub Rock that just always fills me with this feeling of fuck yeah. It's kind of like、uh, like more than a feeling, like Boston. Oh yeah. Like, And it has a little of that equality to that. To me, it's like more than a feeling, but like the '90s version of it. And I also love. It's actually, I'll say, even though I do like the other the singles from this album, I'm not really crazy about their videos. This is the only video that I really love. I love the Cherub Rock video. Still love it. It looked more like one of the videos from Gish, where it's just the band playing in the woods, but psychedelic. There's all this cool psychedelic shit going on. So, and I like. I'm a big fan of psychedelic rock, and I like. That kind of image, you know, those kind of images. So everything from the video, the song sets up the album. It's perfect to me. It's a perfect rock song, and I love it. Very curious what Eric has to say about Terrible. So there you go. 
Oh man, so this was a song like I I knew I had heard it before, like when we were getting ready to do this review. When we were getting ready to do this review, I remember like I knew I had heard it before, but I literally didn't remember it. And I was kind of worried. I even told Evan, I'm like, I have a feeling like I hated this song. Uh, but man, listening to it uh, for the first time, you know, in a while, I actually really fucking loved it, man. It's real sludgy, grungy, but it's like that good kind of grunge that I like, or it's almost kind of like, it is like kind of Sabbath-y, uh, like, you know, real early Sabbath sounding. Really rocking fucking tune. It has a great riff, and uh, like you said, Edwin, the drumming is just phenomenal, and I'm a... All throughout this album, I'm gonna be gushing over the drumming because the drumming is phenomenal. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the video. I thought it was just kind of boring, you know. And you know, kind of the big thing I hated about like a lot of videos in the '90s and like videos, you know, from that point on was they were just very plain or just weird. I kind of like the cheesy, colorful videos of the '80s. So this one, this video didn't do it for me. There is one video on this which. When we get to it, I'll talk about. There's one video for this album that I had never seen before that I fucking loved. Oh, but, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man. It, dude, this is a, a fucking rocking tune, man. The, all the solo is fucking badass. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know it was about him actually being like, hey, I want to be mainstream. I want to make a ton of money, which... Actually, kind of changes my perspective on Billy Corgan because you know a lot of this alternative music in the '90s. One thing I always kind of hate about was kind of, was kind of like wham wham music, as you know our friend Ian Wadley would call it. Um, but yeah, knowing that actually kind of makes the song even more badass. I kind of like that he strayed away from the the pack because it seemed like it was cool to be like all anti music industry and whatnot, and then for him just to be like, well, hey, no, I actually do want to make a shit ton of money making music i mean that's some pretty big balls on him to to actually do that so man knowing that uh billy corgan's actually won a lot of respect for me because i didn't know that about this song i didn't know he was like that and which is pretty awesome yeah there you go he also yeah, loves, mean, re- loves wrestling and he banged uh yeah. Jessica simpson <laughs> dude hell yeah i know i knew he loved wrestling which is pretty freaking awesome i think he still i think he still owns like part of like he still owns uh was that like tna impact wrestling yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, he definitely won a lot more respect for me because I I remember some of that shit too. Like I remember one of Pearl Jam's videos, they opened it with like, "Why don't you turn off these lights? We're not rock stars, we're musicians." And I don't know, I always kind of hated that fucking attitude with certain musicians. So to to know Billy Corgan was kind of like honest and like, "Hey, I actually do want to make some money from this." But that's pretty cool, man. Pretty ballsy of him too, especially in that time. Awesome, it's cool. I was that was my only concern was whether or not you'd like Chair of Rock or not. Oh, dude, yeah. Like I said, it was a song I knew I had heard, but I didn't remember what I thought of it. And when I heard it, to, maybe back like when I was in high school, I probably would have shit on it because I used to. I mean, dude, there were so many grunge songs I used to just pretend to hate because I was so into like you know the hair metal that I was all anti-grunge. Like I remember listening to Lithium and like enjoying it, but like having to like. But, like, being a poser and saying, like, oh, no, this sucks. Whereas now I'm not afraid to be like, yeah, man, fucking lithium. That song fucking rocks, man. Um, You're so all like, grown up. Now, You're all grown up there. Yeah, <laughs> hearing it now, hearing this song now, man, I'm like, man, this shit fucking rocks. This is, like, not what I was expecting from Smashing Pumpkins. I was like, fuck yeah. Okay, Mike, let's go into the next track. And uh, they're still rocking. Maybe even harder. Quiet. Be right back, uh, guys. Yeah. 
Quiet, man. One of my favorite pumpkin songs ever. Uh, one of the most heaviest pumpkin songs. One of my favorites on the album for sure. I love those downtune guitars on here. One of my favorite Billy Cogan vocal performances ever. The guitar solo on here is great. I love the section where Billy like mimics the melody of the chorus. I'm a big fan of that shit. Like Kirk Cobain did that a lot too. Um, yeah, and early Sabbath and Ozzy a little bit. Oh fuck yeah. yeah, hell yeah! Billy said he never liked the placement of Quiet at the number two spot. He said he didn't want to like download downer in the track list, but to me it's perfect. And uh, yeah, I love Quiet man. Yeah, I, I think the the I, it's funny because I do have a few issues with a few of the songs where they're placed, but this Quiet is not one of them. I think Quiet's a perfect second track. Fuck you yeah. know. I always love albums where it starts off with a rockin' tune, but then the second song's either, it's like either faster or heavier. Like, to me, that's perfect. Like, it's perfect as a second song. But, yeah, uh, everything you said about it, I love Quiet. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. Maybe I'd say, uh, I'm looking at this, probably my fourth favorite. It's so heavy. Again, has that Sabbath-y kind of sound. That guitar riff is just really badass. Drums, all the guitar parts. I do really like Billy's voice on it. And this is it's just a badass tune. It's just really heavy. And it's kind of like the perfect second track. It like It's like, hey, you like Cherub Rock? Well, at least for one more track, we're going to kind of keep the party going there. <laughs> and it's a it's a great... He- and this is heavy metal. Like, that's the thing. You know, yep. to, Quiet is a heavy metal song. It's grungy, but grunge comes from like Black Sabbath. Like, that's heavy metal, you know? Allison Chains and Soundgarden are heavy metal. There's a different flavor of heavy metal. You're gonna tell me Soundgarden and Allison Chains and songs like Quiet isn't more heavy metal than fucking Poison? Or Girls, <laughs> Girls, Girls, Motley Crue? Come on. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this, this is heavy metal, and it's just funny, but just because the guy has short hair and wears like a Paisley dress shirt, you're gonna act like it's not heavy metal. Like, you know, listen to the music, man. You know, this this is heavy metal. But so, what do you think of Quiet, Eric? Quiet, holy shit, man! Killer fucking songs. Like you said, man, it's like fucking metal, dude. It's like some early '70s Black Sabbath shit right here, man. It's fucking awesome. Real, it's got that doomy kind of sludgy sound to it. Uh, I, I guarantee you, man, if Billy Corgan, like, uh, you know, if he maybe had some longer hair, wore some leather, I mean, he, like, the metalheads would fucking like this song. Um, but unfortunately, man, his hairline, Billy Corgan's hairline, uh, was probably his most, uh, biggest enemy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, man, Billy Corgan had some, I was watching all the videos, and this guy had, like, four different hairstyles, and they all did not work for him. <laughs> I, I think, actually, if I had to pick, it, and I agree, well, actually, this can kind of set up today a little bit too, actually. But but what what it things is, I look like he looked a little. He did have long hair on Gish. Uh, yeah, I liked his long hair look. I thought that was actually pretty cool. But he looked cool, and, and obviously, if the band like if they looked the way they looked on Gish on Siamese Dream, I do think more metalheads would like it. And yeah. It's just, because then they would have blended in with those Seattle bands. With Allison Chains, definitely. Yeah, like Pearl Jam. They all have yeah. long hair. Yeah, and, and Soundgarden. All those guys at that point in 93, they still all had long hair. You know? Um, yeah. I think they started cutting it short until like 94, 95. Mm-hmm. So Billy was a little ahead of the game there. But yeah. But I actually think uh, if I had to pick what was most flattering, he probably did look best during Siamese Dream with that just short haircut because I don't know he just had an odd face that didn't really work with long hair but then again he played up <laughs> oddness 
He played up the oddness, obviously, when he shaved his head. And yeah, I knew, oh, my God. I but, knew a lot of women that really liked Billy Corgan during Siamese Dream. They all thought he was cute. As soon as he shaved his head and looked like Uncle Fester, suddenly their record sales dropped. <laughs> <laughs> They're not selling as much. And, you know, there was a little bit of hangover because he happened to do it right in the middle of Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. So that first video, he still had short hair and looked decent, but which was good. <laughs> he had that shaved head during the Bullet and Butterfly video, I, I think it would have affected the sales of that album, to be honest. I really think yeah. it would have. Yeah, because I think he scared a lot of people because he just <laughs> looked, he looked weird. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but, yeah, I guess he was losing his hair or something because he ne- it never oh, yeah. grew back. Never grew well, back. You can kind of tell see. by the hairstyles he's trying during this era because I watched a lot of... I watched a couple different videos. I watched all the music videos and I saw a couple different live performances and it's like... It's almost like he's trying different hairstyles to find something that works before, you know, obviously by, like, I think the next album you said, he, like, finally shaved it all off. Yeah, just but, gave uh, up. <laughs> but, yeah, but this is a fucking killer song, and, like, this is, like, some Alice Chains-type shit right here, and Alice in Chains is one of the few grunge bands that the Metalheads did like, you know, yeah. like, you know, Metalheads hated Pearl Jam, Nirvana, this and that, but they, everyone, you know, all the Metalheads loved Alice in Chains. Uh, because, I mean, Alice in Chains were, I mean, they're a grunge, but they're also like a metal band, you know? Yeah, and but, they had the image, and they did do songs like Disarming Today. Like, so yeah. That, that's what it gets down to, you know? They Exactly. They, yeah. Oh, we'll get into those songs. But, yeah. <laughs> but but great I, I, song. <laughs> great song, man. Amazing drumming. I, I kind of like Billy's voice, you know, where he's doing, you know, his voice goes through all these different changes. I love the creepy, like, softer vocals he does. Uh, man, just Jimmy and Billy are just fucking killing it during the solos. The solos on this are just fucking amazing. Awesome. I love it. I love that you're getting into this. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and Billy is, too. James does some guitar solos, but most yeah, doesn't of the... Yeah, does Billy do most of the guitar but, work on this album, from what Bill, I heard? Billy does do most, and he did do what, probably his greatest solo, uh, which Mike brought up, uh, the guitar solo on uh, Chair Brock. Which he yeah. did with uh, two, it was doubled, he doubled it up. It was two solos at once with flange and distortion. And that's like kind of, he does that a lot on this album where he mixes mm-hmm. a flange pedal and a distortion pedal. But yeah, he's doing all kinds of stuff. Like you hear him quiet, like there's that little midsection where the guitar sounds like he's like playing on the harmonics and it's like all distorted and sounds kind of crazy. There's this, God, you could hear, and I'm going to get more into this when I talk about <laughs> who the main, who the muse of this album is, which a lot of people all know about, and why he was playing, well, I'll just say it now, it, one of the reasons he's playing with such a vengeance is, a lot of people don't know this, Billy admitted this many years later, most of the songs on this album are actually about Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, Courtney Love dumped his ass for Kurt Cobain. Damn. Could you imagine that? Now, listen to the thing. In 1991, him and Courtney Love are an item. And they're both on the same uh, underground label, Caroline Records. Uh, Hole's first record and Smash Pump- Pumpkin's first record. They fall in love. They have a pat. Well, Billy Corgan fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always works, isn't it? They had a passionate relationship. And then one year later, she leaves him for not just anyone, but the spokesperson for their generation. <laughs> like, the guy who becomes the biggest rock star of the 90s, Kirk Cobain. And his band blows up, and it's never mind. He loses the love of his life to Kirk Cobain, but he has a record deal. That's the silver lining here. And 
He's very depressed. This actually is a good segue into the next song, which I know you oh, don't yeah. like, but, but this is the story behind the song. I think Mike probably knows the story behind this <laughs> song for the sound of it. But he had this record deal, but he was suicidal. He was heartbroken. He's like, the woman I love left me for the biggest rock star now on the planet who essentially has the career I thought I was going to have. I thought I was going to be the spokesperson of of Generation X, you know, <laughs> and it's all it's all about never mind now. And and she dumped me for the bigger fish, and I just want to fucking die. So he's sitting there. He said, "I'm sitting there. I just wanted to die. Everything was horrible, and all I could do was pick up my guitar and write a happy song." <laughs> <laughs> so he picked up the guitar and he wrote today, and he recorded on a demo. He was bummed up. He said, "I guess this." catchy little song it made me feel a little bit better maybe sends it to uh to the record label i think it's virgin virgin records um is that right is it virgin mike i believe so yeah it's virgin so he sends it to the a and r people and they flip and go billy you just wrote a hit record you know a and r guy was talking about <laughs> he's like billy it's a hit record get your ass in the studio come on chop chop <laughs> and suddenly he has a fire lit under his ass it saved his life and he's like, okay, I can do this. I'll go into the studio and fuck it. I'll just try to record a better rock album than Nevermind. And I'll get the fucking producer from Nevermind. And I'll show <laughs> that bitch Courtney Love that left me for Kirk Cobain. And it fueled him. When you realize that and listen to all those fucking guitar lines <laughs> and the layering and the detail on this production and the way he sings, and you realize this is a man that is this is a vengeance album. A little like Dave Mustaine against Metallica. <laughs> he got a fire lit under his ass, and even though he failed to, it did not eclipse Nevermind, obviously, but but it was a pretty big fucking album that broke the band. So, mission accomplished. Just kind of like Megadeth again. It made him number two for, for a bit. <laughs> so, so kind of mission accomplished there. But that's the story behind today. And that's the story behind, in most cases, when he's singing about a woman and the, his broken heart and, and falling in love, it's all about fucking Courtney Love. Courtney Love, the woman love, who had both oh. Kurt Cobain and Billy Corgan both writing opuses for her. <laughs> it's fucking hell in a Troy. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. So there you go. Uh, did you know a lot about that, Mike? Yeah, about the pony shit. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. So um, uh, let, let's uh, Eric's gonna shit all over this song. So let's get that over with. Okay, Eric. <laughs> what so do you I'm gonna give. Think about today. <laughs> I'm gonna give two reviews for this song because I gotta give the review of the song that I I used to know before I saw the video, and then I gotta give the review of the song after I saw the video today. Yeah. Man, I used to always hate the song. Um, I remember, I think the first time I heard it was, uh, for Rock Band. When Rock Band, you know, you know, Mike, Mike may know what I'm talking about. He's, he's more young. He's, you know, a little bit closer to my age. Uh, when Rock Band came out, I was big, I loved Guitar Hero as a little kid. Uh, right. but when, when Rock Band came out, it was awesome because he had drums and he had singers and whatnot. And my friend bought it. He, or my friend got it for Christmas, I should say. And I go to his house and play it, but the thing with rock bands, you know, Guitar Hero is mainly hard rock and heavy metal songs, and an occasional like kind of oddball song thrown in. Whereas rock band, they kind of want to make themselves different, so they throw in all kinds of music with rock bands. So that meant me and my friends had to hear songs like, you know, 
you had your like weird hipster music and then today was one of the songs on here and I remember just having to play today just so we could beat the levels or whatnot and get unlock more songs and I hated this fucking song I hated it for so long I thought this is just a bunch of wham wham bullshit it's everything I hate about like 90s music um, just I, I fucking couldn't stand it I even told everyone I'm like I know this song and I fucking hate it and all like every time I listen to this album like this song was just like it would grate on me and today when I listen to it for the final time I listen to it on uh I, I listen to it on YouTube when I do my notes because I read people's comments um, and it usually kind of gives me a perspective on how other people feel about the song, maybe what the song's about, and for the video songs, I watch the video. I had never seen this video before and let me give you the review of this song after I saw the video. Wow. So, um, yeah, after I saw this video, holy shit. I saw the, the ice cream, him in the ice cream outfit with the ice cream truck, and I'm like, oh shit, I think I've, like, I've seen clips of this. I've seen him in the ice cream outfit, and, uh, you know, the video starts off, I guess I'm gonna give a description of the video for all of our viewers, because you really need to see this shit. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty entertaining and pretty random. So the video starts off with the song, and, like, he's in the ice cream, ice cream truck with the good humor man outfit on and you see he's looking around at couples making out and looking all depressed I'm like oh here we go again with the wham wham shit you know I'm like this is gonna be horrible but then he starts driving an ice cream truck in the desert I'm like okay and uh and first off too it's another one of his hairstyles uh Ed when you're saying girls liked his hairstyle in this video man he looks like uh (laughs) this hairstyle let's just say he shouldn't be this hairstyle makes him look like someone that shouldn't be allowed within 15 feet of a school (laughs) <laughs> um, so he's driving around in the desert. He picks up this Asian cross-dresser. And at first it looks like a tall Asian woman, but then you get like a good close-up, and you're like, whoa, that woman has a dick, you know? That's, yeah, you know it's James Ian. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. I have a feeling that, yeah, it was the band. I knew yeah. it. I think it was the band. It was but, the band. Yeah, that's so James Ian. That's this, not any cross-dresser. That's James Ian. Yeah, he's like, okay, I may not want to hook up with this is a man so i may not hook up with you but i will give you a ride he picks this asian guy up they're driving around billy's doing some reckless driving here like he's not keeping his hands on the wheel um you know a little bit concerning uh all of a sudden you know uh, the asian dude with the dress on he has a gun i don't know if it's a water gun or a real gun but he shouldn't be pointing that shit because someone may get the wrong idea and like shoot his ass and uh and then we see a gas station employee licking what either is a paintbrush or a popsicle. I believe it's the drummer. Yeah, is it the drummer? Jimmy. Yeah, okay. Jimmy. So he's licking a paintbrush or a popsicle. Your guess is as good as mine when it comes to that. And then you see the sexy blonde woman who's the, the bass player. Yeah. Uh, so they obviously need gas. They're pulling up in this gas station. <laughs> the blonde lady's like on her knees for whatever reason, totally ignoring the customer. Uh, and then popsicle mouth over there is pumping gas. Uh, the Asian dude gets out of his dress and he puts on like a yellow cowboy outfit. Uh, blonde girl starts painting the van, which she didn't even get permission to paint the ice cream truck. So, I mean, come on, you at least gotta ask permission first. And then, uh, also too, I like to point out they're all wearing like one color, like, you know, 
you know, the one guy's wearing blue, Billy Corgan's in all white, the blonde girl's in red, and, you know, yeah, a guy in uh, all yellow. It's like, I feel like I'm watching a fucked up episode of Power Rangers here. So all of a sudden, <laughs> the, the blonde lady just starts painting the ice cream truck without permission. All of a sudden, they just like, fuck it, let's paint the ice cream truck. They all start painting it, and you see some trippy colors. But then, out of nowhere, like, you see, like, these two guys, like, this weird colored hair, like, gang-banging this woman, and it's like, whoa, what's going on here? And then an Asian couple, like, probably within near proximity of them, are also having sex. And the Asian chick, oh my god, she was hot, so I'm enjoying this shit. And out of nowhere, <laughs> there's some lesbian action, I'm like, yeah, like, this feels awesome. <laughs> And then the ice cream truck is, like, painting, like, this weird tribal stuff going on. Uh, you know, Billy falls out of the vehicle. The blonde chick paints her whole face yellow, which is almost kind of creepy. And so Billy gets out of the truck, and the truck leaves without him, and then he's watching this massive orgy going on in the fucking desert. And that's it, man. That's the video. It's like, what the fuck did I just watch? That was awesome. And the song... <laughs> I like the song a little bit better because it makes me think of this weird-ass fucking video <laughs> that is so random and so awesome. And I actually do, I love the song now. I think it's really fucking cool. That's and the hilarious. video stays better. I thought it was going to be the opposite. It's funny because now, I haven't watched this video in years. I used to not like it so much. I thought it was a little goofy. It was too much for you. <laughs> it was just too much going yeah, on. But maybe it was just the 90s. I didn't fully appreciate it. Now I'm going to go back and watch it again. <laughs> you just made it sound so cool. <laughs> I do remember I had a little bit of a mystery tour kind of element. Yeah. Magical mystery tour. It's funny you bring that up because there's a lot of Beatles influence on some of these upcoming songs. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like he might have been thinking about that like when or whoever the director was like, let's make it a mystery tour. But, um, yeah, because I used to think it was very twee, you know, and, I, <laughs> I, and some of their shit, obviously, especially later on, like Tonight Tonight and stuff like that, they got very twee. But, uh, yeah, now you made the video sound awesome. I want to see that. <laughs> Dude, I literally, I'm like, I was watching that video and like the first, like, like I said, the first part of it where it's like him looking yeah. all depressed in the ice cream truck, looking at all the couples making out, being like, all oh, woe is me. I thought I was going to like be like, oh, this fuck this video, this is going to make me hate the song more. I fucking love this song now, just because well, it was so weird and so it, random, like, this it, is cool. And now that you know the story, the story, I think, doesn't help a bit that you know that he picked up a guitar being fucking jilted by Courtney Love. Yeah, I knew it was, a, I always knew it was like, it is a depressing kind of song, like, you know, he's talking about today is the greatest day, yeah. like, it's real depressing sounding. But to me, and, and this is something I'll bring up a few times, too, uh, in addition to the Beatles and Sabbath, I hear a lot of Cheap Trick influence in Smash oh, interesting. And he has cited them as an influence, too. And, like, today, and there's a few songs like that, it's like, do that thing that Cheap Trick likes to do a lot, where there's, like, contrasting, like, over-the-top happiness, but with a dark, with darkness, like something fucked up Ooh. going on. Under That's actually a good point. Yeah, and today's kind of like that. It's like a kind of a true trick thing to do where we have this really almost power pop, bouncy kind of upbeat song. But if you listen to the verses, it's really it's really depressing, you know? <laughs> and and, and I, I like that contrast. And I like it. It's not one of my favorite songs from the album. It actually never was. But, it, like I said, as soon as I heard it, I remember sitting there as a teenager. You didn't know fucking... Jack shit from apple butter. I'm listening to this. <laughs> and I listened to this and I thought, that's a fucking hit. <laughs> like, that's a hit. I go, oh, 
this band's gonna blow up to today's obviously a hit song. And I was happy. I was like, yeah, good for you. Good for you. As long as you keep throwing in some cherub rocks and quiets, I'm happy. You can have your hit song. <laughs> but I liked it. It was never one of my favorite songs, but I did like it. It was catchy enough, and I was happy that they had a hit. And what do you think of today, Mike? It's not just one of my favorite songs on the album. It's one of my favorite songs of all time, yo. Like, wow. With, nice. Within any genre, like... It's funny that the song is actually about, you know, Billy Clogan being depressed that like you mentioned. Yeah. You know, he was obsessed with killing himself at the time. Yep. But it's just, it makes me feel happy, you know. It just makes me a good mood, <laughs> you know. And it's ultimately about survival, Billy says, but I love everything about it. And it's funny that Eric mentioned the video because um, I got this Beavis and Butthead box set. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> and I was just watching them watch that the other day. And I think people say, hey, what are they doing? You know, it's fucking hilarious. But, uh, yeah, today, amazing. I love this song. And, and to the, you know, it, it's like kind of a depressing sounding song, but when I saw the video, the video almost gives it, it almost helps you visualize the, the kind of little bit of optimism he puts in the song. Because the video, it's like starts off, he's, honestly, it looks like he's a guy just like, depressed with his job and life, and he sees all these other happy people enjoying themselves. And he basically just runs away, he goes on an adventure, kind of, meets up with all these weird characters, and just kind of lets go and has fun, and at the end of the video, he he kind of runs away from his normal, ordained life, and he just seems kind of happy again, so it kind of, I guess it kind of makes the song happier when you see the video, because you put into context the video, it makes it a happier song about, yeah, life may be hard, but just, you know, you, know, you, you can always turn it around. That's the thing, at your lowest moment, Sometimes that's the thing, and that's what he did as a songwriter. He sat there in his lowest moment on the brink of suicide, and he's like, but I don't want to die. And what you do is you grasp. You grasp towards the happiness, and that's the yep. thing. And that's why it you know, sounds like it means a lot to Mike. Like That's the thing is it, if you're having a tough time, a song like this could help bring you out because that's exactly what it did for Billy. He was writing a song to cheer himself up, so that's going to work for other people. So there you go. I, I love this. I love that we're getting so deep on this yeah. show. Uh, now we're going, um, I'm going to go with the next song, Hummer. It's a deep track, but I love it. It's actually my third favorite track on this album. I always loved Hummer. It's definitely an album cut. It's not you know, single by any means, but it has a lot of what I love about early Pumpkins. Like Actually, even you wouldn't really get songs like this so much even on the third album. It's really just the first two albums, Gish and Siamese Dream, where this, there's a little bit, a little bit of it on Melancholy, but what I'd call the psychedelic kind of dream rock stuff, where it's like a dreamy kind of psychedelic rock song. And it just flows very organically, and it's this is definitely a headphone song. Like you just listen to it, and the the way the guitars kind of go in and out, just so it takes real expertise to make something sound so organic. Like it just sounds, it doesn't even sound like a song. It's just like waves of music. It's kind of similar to some of the stuff uh, Jimi Hendrix was doing. You know, just kind of flows in and out. Jimmy's drumming's always great. I love. It just like the way the different tones and where it moves and it's just dreamy and just this song makes me really feel good. Whenever I hear it, it's just kind of blissful. And then I love that section when it gets into the last part where it just, you know, it's it's not as hard rocking as the first half and it just gets very soft 
and the guitar work is just it's just really beautiful. I just love the sound of the guitars and and it's it's amazing. It's an amazing production. I love that this is just pure music. It's just pure like if you're just a type of person just wants to get lost in a song. To me, Hummer's that kind of song. And it's subtle, but the more you listen to it, the more you appreciate it. And it's definitely when I was I hadn't like listened to the song actually for a couple years. And when I heard it today, re-listening to this album, it just like hit me. It just put me back in the 90s again. And I was just like, yeah, that's that's what I love about early Smashing Pumpkins. That's what I love about Gish and this album is uh, I love that they can just transport me somewhere uh, with this music. It's it's a beautiful little psychedelic rock song. I love Hummer. What do you think of it, Mike? Hummer is my favorite song on the album, actually. There, right on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I love the distortion in the beginning. The bass line from Darcy is fantastic. I don't know if she played it or not since I found out that, you know, yeah. Billy did all this, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, said so the song's about living your life and being free. The drone from Jimmy Chamberlain sounds great. Definitely one of my all-time favorite Pumpkin songs, but I just love that main riff, man. It's so fucking infectious. I love yeah. it. I love Hummer, man. Awesome. on the album. So what do you think of it, uh, Eric? Hummer. Well, it was funny when this song first started. I actually thought there was something going on with my uh, my signal on my phone because it, it's real distorted sounding at the beginning. Yeah, it sounds like a tape getting eaten or something. So I thought like my the my Apple Music was acting up and like skipping or something. I was like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> I found out it was part of the song, but uh, this one's okay. Um, not one of my favorites. I uh, definitely took a couple listens because uh, at first I just kind of fucking hated it, but. Uh, it's not bad, man. It's pretty decent. Uh, real sludgy again, like, you know, like the, you know, like kind of like quiet or like cherub rock. Uh, doesn't really hit the mark exactly with me, uh, but still a pretty solid song. And I, I love the ending, too, because it's very Beatles-esque sounding. And so it's pretty interesting hearing, like, the changes where it goes from kind of like this more rockin', you know, grungy, sludgy sounding song. And then you get the real melodic, like, soft sounding, like, Beatles sound at the end. So it's a decent song, uh, not one of my favorites off the album, uh, but it was definitely a grower. Pretty decent song, man. I liked it. All right, cool. And it is a grower, so it's one of those songs. That yeah, it took I me think, a couple yeah, listens. Yeah, I think you'll appreciate it more and more. It's like yeah. one of those songs. It wasn't like a standout for me when I first listened to the album, but over the years, it's become you know one of my favorite tracks on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, okay, now we're, we're gonna pour another drink while you talk about the next song. Okay, rock it. Well, Rocket, uh, Mike, you go with Rocket first, then I'll take it. All right, brother. Rocket, this is the first song recorded for the album and written as well. The guitar tone on this is great. Like I said earlier about Billy's guitar tone. Billy said it stands for a poem uh, he wrote in the past about being left behind. The musicianship on this song just stands out. Like, amazing musicianship on this song. I believe this, they did a video for this, too. I remember. Yep. Yeah, the fourth single. Yeah, I'm good. Rocking some like shiny silvery space with some shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've seen it in a couple years though, but yeah, rock is definitely a good song. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great song. I love it. I I'm gonna say right now, this when I first listened to this album, I obviously heard that today and disarm were going to be. The, I even knew when they were gonna release them. I was like, today, second single, disarm the third one. Like I could <laughs> tell, they just screamed second and third single. I gotta tell you, I was surprised when Rocket was the fourth choice. There was a song on the second side that I, and I still think to this day, 
uh, and I'm sure Mike probably has an idea what song is because uh, it's a very popular song with Pumpkin fans. But there is a song that I instill to this day. I can't believe it was not the fourth single of this album, and I think it would have been a big hit. But I, I get Rocket. Like if I had to pick a fifth song, yeah, I guess Rocket would be the fifth song. It's catchy. It's a catchy little song. But I, I still can't believe that they didn't pick this other song to be the fourth single. That's all. It's just. So, and the video is kind of goofy, like, uh, and it doesn't, like, even today, even though I thought today was a little tweet, it, like, as, as Eric really, uh, pointed out, it <laughs> did, it did have a perverse side to it. It's kind of pervy, and it's a little demented, and it's a little sexy, and it was kind of psychedelic. So, whereas Hummer's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of goofy, you know, they're in little silver rockets, and there's a little kid trying to fly off in a rocket. It's very very Wes Anderson-ish. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's a little twee for my taste. But the song, I do love the song. It's a great song. They actually opened all the shows on the Siamese Dream Tour. This was the opening song. And you can hear why uh, with that guitar riff. It kind of it builds up. It's a nice guitar riff in the beginning. It's a good hook. I love the guitar sound. It's great. I'm not also crazy about the placement of it, though. It feels like this should be a song that ends... Uh, like the, the first side or maybe begins the second side or it's like the second to last song I don't know because it has that kind of finale ending you know what I mean Mike like it kind of has has an ending that sounds like a finale of some sort so it's just kind of weird that it's like in, in the middle of the first side I don't know I just feel like they could have put the song someplace else and it might have yeah. been a, a little more effective but that aside it's a great song I do love Rocket it's a really catchy tune what do you think of it Eric? Oh, man, this is a song that just kind of totally misses the mark for me. Uh, there's some good things about it, like the drumming's amazing. Um, yeah. I love the some of the guitar work at the very end when it kind of has that climatic yeah. uh, part to it. Uh, but other than that, man, this song just kind of misses the mark with me. This is like the first one that I just really don't like. Um, and, and Billy's voice, I didn't mention this, uh, Billy Corgan's voice... Either it works with me or it annoys me. It's either like one or the other. This is one of those songs where his voice just kind of grates on me. Um, it just didn't do much for me. Uh, wasn't a fan, but like I said, there's a couple of good takeaways from it, like the drum work. Um, and obviously some of the guitar playing on it's pretty solid. The The video I didn't like as much. Um, you know, I think today obviously just steals the show when it comes to the videos. Uh, this one was okay i guess but uh you know it's just a bunch of kids building a rocket ship and they got some weird looking uh houses and whatnot uh the one thing that pissed me off with this video is there's a scene where it looks like there's some adults having a cookout they put fucking ketchup on a hot dog and as a chicago person that pisses me off and this band is from illinois so they should know better don't put, fucking put ketchup on a fucking hot dog what the hell oh but no this uh, like I said, drumming's great, guitar work, uh, there's some good guitar work on it, but uh, just kind of misses the mark with me. Alright, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, now, uh, I'll take the next one, Disarm. Okay. Obviously, the, you know, I think at the time, Disarm might have been the biggest hit. I would think today is the one that's most... Like I, I hear today a little bit more on like classic it's still the rock test radio. Of time. Yeah, I feel like today is the song that most people associate with this album. But obviously, "Disarm" would be like a close second. It was uh, the third single, and it was a hit. And uh, 
a lot of, I got a lot to say about this song. Not one of my favorites on the album, actually. But I do like it, and I do think it's a very beautifully written pop rock song. Obviously in the Beatles vein, you know, a, you know, a lot with the strings and everything, acoustic guitar. There was a song that I love that's the last song on the first album, Gish, Daydream. Which, what what was special about that is like, Gish, to give you an idea, uh, Eric, because I don't think you've listened to it. Yeah, I did not listen to it. It's pretty much all psychedelic rock. Okay. All just like heavy psychedelic rock songs. There's a few songs that are a little dream, a little like Hummer, where there's a few gentle moments here and there. But suddenly at the end, there's this acoustic song that has violins that come in and Darcy singing called Daydream. It's just like a minute and like 30 seconds. It's a short okay. little song, but it's very Beatlesque, and it kind of foreshadows this song. So if you already, if you came into Smash of Pumpkins with Gish, you were kind of expecting that they might at some point lean into this Beatles thing a little bit more. Yeah. Like you were kind of waiting for that. Like I was kind of <laughs> waiting for the song where they were going to kind of take a little cue from Daydream and make more of it. And it's like, this is something they kind of progressively did. Like then, obviously, with the next album, they did it even more so Tonight Tonight. You know, they went full on Mm. with the orchestra and went full on Beatles pop. And this is like the song kind of in between. It's like more, it's poppier than Daydream, but not quite as poppy as Tonight Tonight. So it's like kind of in the middle but it's the perfect transitional song for them at, in terms of the where they their evolution with like Beatlesque pop music. Yeah. But as soon as I heard a song, yeah, I knew this was also a hit, and I was like, oh, well, this is a hit, fucking hit too. Good for you, Pumpkins. Now that's a hit album. You got two songs. You're not gonna be a one-hit wonder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I remember we talked about what was the song you said you used to play for girls, and they always got turned on, Eric. There was oh. some song you used to play for girls. You picked up the guitar and you just did it, and they loved it. Oh, fuck. Um, well, as you're trying to, I re- can't remember. Yeah, that was this song for me. I think because really? it's a song to play, actually. So I pick up a, a guitar, and let me tell you something, Mike and Eric. I pick up a guitar, and this is you know fucking mid '90s. You pick up a guitar, and you're at some party of some drunk girls. And especially some drunk white girls who had a party, you pick up a guitar and you start playing Disarm. Man, you're getting some that night. <laughs> they love that shit. They love that shit. And even me, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, this ain't no chair of rock, but I'm playing Disarm and they fucking love it. <laughs> so I have fond memories of this song for that reason alone. Uh, it got me laid uh, several times. So, but it's, it's. I like it. It's another tone. It shows that this is going to be a very ambitious album. It's going to go. This is. He's going full on. He's going. He's. I'm making a big classic pop rock record. I were. I will dare to make a Beatles song. I will have the acoustic guitars, the strings, the melodramatic lyrics. I'm going to go full on. I think it's a beautifully written song. I think he accomplishes everything he wanted to accomplish. It's a short song. Doesn't say it's welcome. One other trick that he learned from the Beatles too which is, to the song's credit, is he learned the how to uh, be economical with arrangement. Like, the song's only like three minutes uh, long, and it doesn't repeat parts too often. And it does that nice thing where it kind of builds up, and the chorus is like elongated at the end. And that's like kind of how the Beatles would have done it. So he learned a lot. You know, Corgan's obviously a guy that paid attention to Sabbath and Beatles, and he figured out how they did certain things, you know. 
and so more power to them. And again, not one of my favorite songs on the album. Definitely some like today. There's a burnout factor, but I can recognize it as a really well written pop rock song, and it definitely it you know it helped um, you know take his artistry to another level. And for that, I give it credit. Even though for me, it's like a mid tier song. It's not one of my favorites, but it's a beautifully written pop rock song. That's why I think of Disarm. What do you think of it, Mike? Uh, this song was huge, man. You know, yeah. I, I used to hear it on my local radio station several times a day to the point where I was like, man, fuck this shit. <laughs> but <laughs> overall, I love it, man. I love this song. Yeah. Know, it's about the time Billy uh, contemplated suicide. He wrote it the same day he wrote today. And it's like, this got single written all over it, like Eddie was saying. But as a kid, I just got fed up with it. But it is a great song. But I didn't know that. So he wrote this the same day as today. Yeah, yeah I read. I read up on that shit. Yeah, he said he wrote the same day he wrote today. God damn, Courtney uh, Love breaks your heart, and you want to die. Love, so I mean, <laughs> you write two hit. God damn it. Uh, I don't know. She's kind of my type, actually. Uh, especially oh. that she was at a good period there. She was past her first nose job, but it's before she got a little too plastic looking with too much plastic surgery I liked her during that live through this kind of early 90s period I thought she was sexy and the baby like those fucking heroin hoes yeah, I like, I like with the, the, the kind of running mascara and the, the baby doll clothes and oh yeah I think that's sexy it, I, ever, just, I just looked up pictures of Courtney Love from the 90s I don't know man it ain't doing much for me you ever you know actually when she's the hottest though I thought was the you ever see the, the gold dust woman video which no. she had the dark Ooh, she's sexy in that. She's sexy. I, yeah. I ain't gonna lie, man. I fucking love Live Through This, man. Live Through This is amazing. I love yeah. that album. It's fucking Doll album. Parts, yo. Doll I love that whole album. That's an amazing album. And, yeah, and I, I thought she was sexy. So I can see, I can get it. You know, sexy trouble woman with mascara and blonde oh. hair and a baby doll hey. outfit. Hey, you like what you like, man. <laughs> so, so what? speaking of liking what you like, what do you think of Disarm, Eric? Oh man, after Edwin just gushed over that, you know, Mike said he liked it, I feel bad, uh, this is where I become kind of the bad guy of the episode. <laughs> Say hello to the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, this song fucking sucks. Um, I, I would need, you gotta make sure I'm disarmed before hearing this song, cause man, I'd probably commit suicide listening, listening to this. Holy shit, it's depressing and just, and not in like a good artistic way, like today, where like it, it has optimism. No, this shit's just straight depressing. Um, <laughs> and just like in, I don't, it just annoys me. It's just, to me, it's more, it's just wham wah shit that I hate from the 90s. And it sounds like fucking Coldplay, and I hate Coldplay. Oh, it's better than Coldplay. Oh my god, my wife loves Coldplay, and I hate that shit. Ugh. It's another song where, where just Billy's voice just gets on my nerves. It's the whole, I used to be a little boy lyric. Just, oh, it just grates on me. It sounds like they're using the same fucking string section that they used to record Brandon for Motley Crue's Generation Swine. Oh, just, I hate, this is like the first song where it's like, yeah, I hate this song. Like, it's not like, oh, it's not that great or, oh, it just doesn't hit me that well. It's like, no, I hate this song. That's not so songs. bad. Yeah, six songs in. That's not so bad. Oh, <laughs> and you know, and that was the thing too, because you know, I remember grunge music. Um, you know, with grunge, they talk about how you know, like hair metal was so like one. Di- hair metal got to be so one dimensional, where 
the music was all about sex and partying and having a good time and like, oh, well, grunge music, we talk more about life and this and that. Well, man, grunge music in the 90s at some point got really one-dimensional, just like hair metal music, but like in the opposite way where, you know, whereas hair metal was like, it was all about partying. It got to a point where it's all just about partying, girls, cars, and fun. Grunge music got to a point where it was just all about depression and sadness and oh woe is me kind of stuff so it, it also became lyrically became one dimensional after a while and these are like the kind of songs I think of when I think of like how bad like kind of you know 90's music got and uh and I'm not putting on Smashing Pumpkins cause like I said this a lot of this album has been actually pretty damn good and really took me aback but yeah. it's songs like this that really you know really just made me hate 90's music and it you know it's kind of funny, just like like I said, how grunge music people that are fans of that always bash will bash like hair metal bands, how one dimensional they got. Whereas you know, '90s grunge music got the same way. You got guys at the beginning like Kurt Cobain and uh, you know Lane Staley who are like you know they went through troubled lives and they were going through real hard lives and it translated into their lyrics. But then you get other bands that. You know, obviously grunge music's making a lot of money, it's become real big, and you get guys that come around and they, uh, you know, they want to cash in on that, but they don't have as hard of a life as those guys, so they, then you get, like, some of the wham shit, where it's like, you really didn't have a hard life, so you're kind of picking at the barrel, you're writing songs about, you know, your daddy not playing catch with you and whatnot, yeah. so... Yeah, I don't want to digress about this band, but I will just say this, to give them credit... I think Stone Temple Pilots did a pretty good job during that period of kind of balancing, like, they weren't that depressing, but yet they kind of... Fit. Oh, I love me some Stone Temple yeah, Pilots. Yeah, you know what I mean? They kind of fit. fucking love that band, Yeah, they yeah. Kind of, especially as I'm older now and I look back, I go, you know, Stone Temple Pilots were, like, really the one band that wasn't really that one note. Like, they, they had a few depressing songs, but they were also kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, they they balanced it really well in a way that I think a lot of the other bands didn't. Even though I do love a lot of the grunge bands and Smash the Pumpkins, I think stepping back, Stone Temple Pilots probably were the ones that had the, I guess you could say, most varied tones. Yeah, and it, like I said too, it's like they they were just, I mean, grunge music just got as bad as like hair metal music did, yeah. but like it was just opposite, like. Uh, it was just like kind of almost opposite because whereas hair metal was all about partying, having fun, you got all these like you know grunge blew up and you got all these copycat bands where it's like they're trying yeah. to write depressing stuff, but like they don't have as hard of a life as some of these guys like Kurt Cobain and Lane Staley, Jerry Cantrell. So like they're kind of picking at the barrel to find stuff yeah. to write about. So or Courtney loved it and break their heart. Anyway, yeah. th that actually leads into the most depressing song on the album. <laughs> but uh, which I also think is kind of a masterpiece. I love it. Soma, which ends the first side. God I'll damn be right it! Back. Yeah, fucking Soma. This fucking song. It's epic. It's a fucking epic song. It is depressing as all fucking hell. But it's like depressing the way Sabbath was depressing. Like it's meaty. It's deep. It's powerful. It's dark. It's just dark. You feel like you traveled. It's like one of those nights where you wake up three in the morning and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this shit. And it's got that feeling to it. It's dark. And it's like this journey. It's the journey into the darkness of Billy Corgan's soul and all the guitar work. And oh, it's, just, it's an amazing song. It's an epic track. 
could have ended the album and you know but maybe everyone would want to die <laughs> if if it ended with this <laughs> in a way it's like he's giving everyone a break by it not being the last song uh what do you think of Solomon like Soma, man. It's named after the drug, obviously. So I guess they were going for that, like, dreary feeling. You can, like, sense that in the song. Yeah, it's very, it's like <laughs> oppressive feeling. It's just really, you know what I mean? Like, don't you agree that this is, like, the darkest yeah. song on the album? Yeah, definitely. Like, I love the chorus. Um, <clears throat> For me personally, it's a little barn for me, but I fucks with it. It gets heavier towards the middle. Yeah. And I love the guitar solo as well. Yeah, not one of my ultimate favorites, but I do fuck with it for sure. Yeah, so what do you think of Soma, Eric? Um, this one, you know, is very, another depressing song. Uh, you know, but I like it a little bit more. It just feels more real, you know, whereas the last one's kind of very, you know, it's just like very crybaby shit. This one sounds more real. <laughs> um, not, I wasn't really digging it too much, um, but it's an okay song. It's very Beatles sounding at the beginning. You hear a lot of Beatles influence at the beginning. Uh, then like kind of part, like pretty much halfway through, it just, uh, gets real heavy. So it's a pretty decent song. I think maybe the length of it just kind of kills it. I think maybe if you trim it down a little bit, it could have been better. But overall, it's, it's an okay song. Not too bad, not, but not the greatest. All right, cool. So let's flip this record over. And, well, if it was a record, it would probably be, what, like a double record. So it'd be, now we're pulling, now we're pulling out the, the second record. Fucking CD, CDH. 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 Uh, if Geek USA. I love Geek USA. It's a rocket song. Titles totally sounds like a cheap trick kind of song. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does, bro. Oh, yeah. And... Man, this is another one I think is about Courtney Love. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you listen to the lyrics. But uh, Geek USA, it's a great rocking tune. A lot of splashy guitar work. Jimmy fucking Chamberlain fucking drumming his fucking balls oh, off. Yeah. Doing all this crazy shit. You could just, I could just listen to Jimmy's drumming and it's like fucking, it's like John Bonham. He's one of the, and yep. Bill Ward. He's a drummer that you just, you can listen to a song like this and just get lost in the drums. Has the different changes, gets really soft and kind of pretty. But that's the thing; it's the contrast. And again, Billy Corgan, he's like he's a lot like a Tarantino in a lot of ways. I'm yeah. gonna make this comparison. Is in the '90s, in a lot of ways, he's like Tarantino. He's kind of guy with a big mouth that annoys a lot of people. <laughs> and and but he obviously like he. He pays a lot of he pays attention to the music of the past, in the same way Tarantino pays attention to movies of the past. Mm-hmm. It's like his mind's kinda like a computer. And it's like you can see like he this fucking this motherfucker's done his homework. You know, you watch a Tarantino movie, you're like, this motherfucker's done his homework. You know? <laughs> you know? Like yep. Billy Corgan obviously he's listening to Cheap Trick, Black Sabbath, Beatles, you know, like he, he's listened to a lot of music and he's figured a lot of shit out. And Led Zeppelin, you know, he's like, he figured out, like, tonal shifts, you know, how, like, some things are heavier if you got, like, a gentle thing and, like, you know, that you juxtapose it with. And you could just tell that this motherfucker's done his homework. And Geek USA, it's got it all, you know, it's it's a trip. It's fun. Again, a little bit on the next album, but not so much. This is the kind of song that you'd hear a lot on Gish and Siamese Dream. And unfortunately, I'll get to this a little bit, you know, when we get to Silverfuck. <laughs> I'll talk a little <laughs> more about this. But, 
Unfortunately, it's not the kind of song that really defines Smashing Pumpkins in the long run, even though I think they should have kind of, especially these days, done more songs like this. I, I just think, uh, you know, it's just a really cool fucking progressive heavy metal rock song that goes to a lot of different places, and it's awesome. I love it. What do you think of it, Mike? One of my favorite songs on here, man. One of the more heaviest songs. Billy said the song was like seven minutes long at first. And they ended up trimming it down, which is a good thing. It worked, it worked out for the best, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, and again, yo, like, great guitar solo on him. Yeah. I love Geek USA. What do you think of it, Eric? Oh, man. Like, this, this is more like it, man. Just a fucking killer song. Amazing drumming and just a badass riff at the beginning. Fucking awesome. And I saw there's, like, a cool video of them on YouTube where they're doing this song live. And they got all these clowns on stage. Most random shit ever, but it's, just, it's so awesome. I just love it. Uh, it's another one that, too, reminds me of Alice in Chains a lot. Um, really love this tune. And uh, I, I even like the weird part where it kind of slows down and gets all, like, dreamy sounding. Yeah. Uh, you got Billy Corgan talking about Siamese twins and shit. It's like, what the fuck, man? You got, like, a fetish or some shit for Siamese t- twins? I mean, I ain't judging, man. Like, whatever you're into, <laughs> that's cool, man, but... Yeah, it's so weird, but I, I love it. I love that weird, trippy part where he's talking about Siamese twins, and then it just kicks back into the heaviness, you know? Fucking badass, dude. Love the song. All right, I want to take the next one. Okay, this is the song, Mayonnaise, that <laughs> I, I can't believe was not the fourth single. All right? I wow. just... I can't believe that. Wow. I, I listened to this song and it made like, yeah, okay, you got today, you got this song. This is like the era where like Stone Temple Pilots had like plush and stuff. Like, I feel like Mayonnaise with a really high concept video would have fucking clicked with fucking 1993 or early 94. Like, to me, it's a dreamy grunge ballad, power pop song. It's one of the catchiest songs on the album. It's an amazing song my second favorite song on the album and that makes it also my second favorite smashing pumpkin song of all time it's cherub rockin and it's mayonnaise i love mayonnaise it's one of the greatest songs i think smashing pumpkins ever wrote to me this is totally like a cheap trick kind of song um and it's so catchy and i remember when i listened to this i thought like i remember thinking Okay, if they have a fourth single, if they go that far, <laughs> this would be it. And then it was rocking, and I was like, oh, it wasn't mayonnaise. Okay, so I didn't call that. But years later, I was justified because Smashing Pumpkins fans, diehards, love this song. Uh, remember when we talked on the Doors episode about songs that weren't singles at the time, uh-huh. but later become like greatest hits? Like yeah, 20 Century Fox, Fox kind of. Yeah, Peace Frog kind of thing. Yeah, this, it, it, you might not know this, Eric, but yeah, in Smashing Pumpkin Circles, Mayonnaise is a big song. It's a very okay. beloved, it's a very beloved song. It's the kind of song that if they had a best of now would probably make it. But at the time, it was not released as a single. So, I don't know, it seems confounding to me. But I love the song, to me, it's a dream, and it's kind of a song they would never do again. Not even not really on the next one. Maybe uh-huh. a little bit with the song Muzzle, a little bit. Uh, but, it's this Mike might know what I'm talking about like where it's this dreamy kind of pop rock smashing pumpkin song a little psychedelic a little psychedelic kind of dreamy very organic kind of sounding it's catchy but yet very organic something you co-wrote with James E.F. 
And I think it's beautiful. So something too about the oh, the chords that James E is playing that remind me a little of Purple Rain in the beginning. And of course, the big thing that a lot of people will know about is that guitar sound where it makes that <laughs> sound, <laughs> the feedback. Apparently, it was some cheap guitar that Billy Corgan had that made that sound whenever he wasn't playing it. But this is the real genius of it, where it gives it the edge, and that's like like cheap trick, and where. It's like you take something that's kind of poppy, but you you add this edge, you add this like discord, something that's kind of fucked up to it sonically and lyrically to the song. And the fact that he adds this kind of fucked up mistake to the song and it becomes a hook is to me ingenious. And, you know, I'm got, I can roll up a lot of that crazy sound shit. You know, I like Sonic Youth, so I don't mind like weird distorted sounds, especially when they're used artfully like they are like it's used here like it's actually used as a hook to the song the what you know? <laughs> and and i just think it's a masterpiece well it's a perfect little song i say a little it's actually uh, five minutes it's kind of a long song actually but i guess i don't know maybe it's just i love the song so much i don't want it to stop so there you go that's what i think of mayonnaise i totally gushed all over it apparently <laughs> it's also a lot of people don't realize it's uh the title apparently billy made it years later was it's uh, phonetic it's uh, playing off uh, my own eyes so that's why I wrote it mayonnaise so that's interesting I didn't know that before but I think it's a beautiful song I love it obviously uh, what do you think of it Mike the reason why you hear me say whoa wow when you uh, said it sound like a single because that's what I wrote in my notes oh there it is. oh man <laughs> right on. again I just love the guitar sound <laughs> on this I don't know why this wasn't a single. It just sounds like it definitely should have been. It's yep. so good. Couldn't find no info on it, like what it's about. I'm glad uh, Eddie mentioned, you know, my own eyes. That's pretty fucking cool. It, it sounds like some relationship shit. Uh, I'm guessing, but yeah, it's a it's a love song. It's another yeah. one. It's dreamy, you know. You know, I, I love this lady. She doesn't love me as much as I love her, but I'm still gonna love her anyway. I'm gonna be me, and I'm gonna <laughs> fucking love this bitch. Regardless. I'll be a fucking simp for this bitch right here. You know? <laughs> that, that's like my takeaway. It's like a guy surrendering to his to his fucking meat-headed romanticism. <laughs> Such a good song, though. One of my favorites in album. Yeah, it's me. So I'm very. This is actually another song. I'm very curious. I could see Eric going either way on this song. I have no oh. idea. So I'm curious what you think of this of mayonnaise. All right. So mayonnaise. Uh, man, this song makes me want to miracle whip Billy's Billy Corgan <laughs> upside the head. This song, I can't get into this. This song for me just fucking sucked, man. It's like, you know, a- after such a killer song like Geek USA, they play this. It just it reminds me of fucking Creed. This song oh, reminds me oh, of man. Oh, Creed, oh, man. Oh, it just, I, I was waiting for, like, Scott Stroud to be, I was, like, waiting for that shit to kick in during this song. Oh, man. I can just picture, like, I hear this song, and I just picture a bunch of, like, white redneck dudes with their lifted trucks at a, a Buffalo Wild Wings or Wings, etc. <laughs> with their Affliction t-shirts and, like, trucker hats. With their tribal tattoos, like listening to this drunk after getting to a verbal argument with their, you know, fifth baby mama and like crying over this song, like, oh man, this shit hits hard, man. It's just like, oh. <laughs> well, you're you're making a case though that it should have been the fourth single, right? By saying that, I, I guess so, man. But <laughs> it, oh, it's just I hate this song. Just the 
I saw the name of the song too, and I was just like, oh god, they named the song Mayonnaise, really? And I heard it, and it was just like, Jesus, this is just, I don't know, it just ain't my thing, man. I just can't get into this shit. Be, like I said, it reminds me of fucking Creed. I read it the arms wide open. I remember, uh, I'm gonna talk about Johnny Vogan here, uh, the one and only. When we did our Van Halen uh, episode <laughs> on our RMCP, remember when it was Scab RMCP? We did yep. the RMC. We did the Van Halen countdown. And Wait, Johnny Vogan like fucking hear about Lair because yes, of the chorus. That's what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah, what the hell's his problem? <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked. <laughs> and, and I said to Johnny Vogan, I said, I, I'm paraphrasing myself, but I said, one day you're gonna be sitting there. And, you know, you're going to be in a really bad moment in your life. Some shit's going to go down. And you're going to be sitting there on the corner in the darkness is surrounding you. And you're going to suddenly realize the genius of the Hear About It Later course. <laughs> it's going to hit you. Suddenly it's going to hit you. Like, yeah, that, that's darkly beautiful. One day, maybe, I hope this doesn't happen, Eric. I'm just saying. But one day you love a woman more than she loves you. You could be sitting there. And it's going to be 2, 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning, and suddenly mayonnaise might hit for you. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Mayonnaise hit me, but it hit me right in the fucking balls because this shit hurt. <laughs> it's all right. So far, you've actually been much nicer on this, uh, kinder on this album than I thought. Okay. I, say, this is actually- I told you, man, there's going to be some songs that I, I will go off on, but there's some that surprise me, but this is not one of them. Holy now, shit. This, we're going to go into a song. This is actually going to be the only time, spoiler alert, that I'm not going to be gushing. Okay. Ooh, all right. Yeah, Space Boy. Space Boy. I liked it. I liked it as a teenager. Um, now I hear I don't think it's a bad song, but and Mike knows about this. Billy Corgan is he's like one of these artists like Prince or Oasis where they got a lot of good B sides. Like Prince would have B sides that you listen to and you go, why wasn't that on the album? Billy Corgan was another guy like that. Like they had a lot of really great B sides. And this is the only song where I listen to and I think a couple of those B sides were better in this one. It's it's not bad. It's not like I don't think Space Boy is a bad song. It's about his autistic brother, you know. Uh, nice enough. Really? That, that sets up a joke for you, Eric. But, and, you know, it's like I love the Mellotron, by the way, but that's actually one of the problems I have with it. I feel like the Mellotron should have been just saved for Luna. Like, Luna, I think, would have had more power if that was the first time and only time you heard the Mellotron come up. Because you heard it already of Space Boy, I think that takes away from it because it's such a specific, cool, old-school instrument to use. Of course, uh, we talked a bit about this, Mike, when we talked about Volume 4. You know, the Meltron is this cool instrument that Sabbath used, you know, and it's very cool that Billy Corgan's bringing back the fucking Meltron, you know. Fucking Guns N' Roses are using fucking corny Casio-like keyboards. You know, Billy Corgan's being legit. He's bringing a fucking Meltron out and dusting it off and actually using it. So I love the Meltron. It's the best thing about this song. But I think they should have saved it for Luna. And we'll talk more about that when we hit Luna. But, so I think it took away from it a little bit. It's an alright song. I don't hate it. But I know that he had better songs. Plus, this is just a long album to begin with. Like, they could have shaved off one song. So, I guess I'm saying it's my least favorite song in the album. Not a bad song, but if they had to lose a song or replace it with one of the various superior B-sides that were recorded during this time period, 
I yeah, this would have been one I would have left off, but I don't hate it. It's it's an all right tune, but I do think every other song's better. What do you think of it, Mike? Uh, yeah, like you said, it's about Billy's, you know, younger brother Jesse, who has several palsy, Tourette's, all kinds of self fucked up pop problems. Yeah, I love the clean acoustic guitar playing. I will say that not one of my ultimate favorites at all. And I agree, this album is a bit too fucking long. And yeah. it's just mm-hmm. there. It's not really... A, like you said, I don't want to butcher the title of this fucking album, but it's like a scariot. It's like a fucking B-Sides record. Like, yep. any song off day will fit good on you. You feel me? Take off fucking Space Boy. Yeah, I'd, I'd replace this with, like, Obscured or one of yeah. those ones. Yeah, it would have been a better song, I think. Yep. A lot better. Yeah. And Peasant, which was actually also a on the Japanese uh, version as a bonus track, which oh, all... Yeah. It was a great track. What do you think, Eric? Well, you said I was about his autistic brother. I mean, <laughs> goddamn, as if autistic people didn't have enough fucking issues already. You got Billy Corgan writing this song. Uh, it, this song is it's another thing. Like, what is with like all these music artists trying to like rip off like David Bowie's like Space Odyssey? Yeah, you had Nikki Six doing it like with Generation Swine with the fucking rocket ship song. Uh, th- that's all the song reminds me of. It's like it's another fucking music artist trying to trying to do their version of Space Odyssey by David Bowie. But the problem is they're not David Bowie and the Saint Space Odyssey. This shit just is horrible. Uh, there, there's like a part in the song too where he says something about Mr. Jones and I had horrible flashbacks about that horrible Counting Crows song. Oh, <laughs> I I would rather just go and listen to David Bowie's Space Odyssey. This song was horrible. It, you know, it, it, it's. It's up there with like Nikki Six's rocket ship as like a horrible ripoff of you know David Bowie's Space Odyssey. Just not a fan, not a fan. All right, yeah, I don't hate it like you, but I ain't fighting for it either. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, I feel the same way, brother. Yeah, now we're gonna do a fucking awesome song, <laughs> Silver Fuck, and I love Ooh. that one word. Silver fuck. Yep. <laughs> Don't need to space that shit out. One word, silver fuck. It's another kind of like Geek USA, quiet. It's a fucking heavy song. Very progressive. Love the bass line. The bass line's so good. It's obviously Billy Gordon playing it. <laughs> Essentially, Darcy, she's hot. No disrespect to Darcy. I thought she was hot. I liked her. I had a crush on her, like every yep. lot of dudes. But if you listen to her playing bass live, she's all right. I mean, she's better than Nikki Six and Bobby Doll. Well, she can actually play the fucking bass. You, on, you like, can Nikki hear her Six. playing bass. Like when you hear them live, it's like, oh yeah, she actually plays the bass. She yeah. can play the bass. Her bass is plugged in. Yeah, it's plugged <laughs> in. So I give her credit for that. So she's a decent enough bassist. But you can kind of hear why Billy played it on the album. So it's actually, if anything, I'd compare her. She's like kind of like Michael Anthony. She, yeah, she does the job live. You can hear she can play the bass. But you can also kind of hear why the more talented guitarist played it, the, the instrument on the record, you know? Yeah. You know, and year, years later, we all discovered Eddie Van Halen really played a lot of the bass on the, the albums. Uh, wow, I never knew that, and I love Van Halen. Wow. Yeah, Eddie plays a lot of the bass. And, you know, it's like Jimi Hendrix actually played a lot of the bass lines. And Keith Richards played a lot of the bass lines on the Stones. Yeah. So Yeah, so this happens a lot. So, yeah, Billy... Billy's obviously playing the bass line on this song because it's a really fucking great bass line. And, and Prince, you know, also played the bass a lot. But anyway, so Billy's got Jimmy fucking Chamberlain, fucking VIP. Oh, He's yeah. fucking going to town. And this song is doing everything. It's fucking, it's all, it's the kitchen sink song. It, it's the big finale. It's obviously, this is kind of the big finale, and then we're going to have a more kind of subtle 
you know, coda at the end or epilogue at the end. But this is the big climactic rock epic on the album. It's it's just driving. It's crazy. And again, this is kind of a song they wouldn't really quite do again, even on the next album so much. They, there are heavy songs. The next album actually, in some ways, gets heavier with some of the songs, but they're not as progressive heavy. Like This is like kind of just a Gish Siamese dream kind of thing where they're doing kind of what I describe as progressive, progressive heavy metal. And it's too bad that they kind of left this, because I think a lot of people, like, when I listen to a band like Elder, like, I hear kind of, like, shit like this. Like, yeah, like, Smashing Pumpkins, especially now they got James Ia and Jimmy Chamberlain back in the band, they should be putting out albums that, that, that sound like, like, that are competitive with Elder albums, in my opinion. Like, they should be getting into some deep fucking prog metal. But instead, fucking Billy Corgan's just, like, jerking off doing a little New Order keyboard type shit. You know, like like he's a solo artist. It's like, dude, you got you got Jimmy back in the band. Fucking do a prog metal album. You know, what are you doing? You know, you're just fucking off because he's lazy. That's the thing. It's like Tommy Lee and Nikki Six. These guys just get lazy. That's the thing about Billy. He could say, oh, I don't want to repeat myself and all that shit. He's just fucking lazy because he would need chops to play music like, like this. That's the thing. He would need chops. He'd need to be going down to some warehouse somewhere, some studio, and practice with Jimmy to play music like this. Like he did back in fucking 92 when he recorded this album, when he had a fire lit under his ass, when he was heartbroken and competing with Kurt Cobain. He had a fucking fire under his ass, so he went and fucking practiced and played with Jimmy Chamberlain and James Dio, and they fucking played rock music. And it's like, like people would love that now. Like, it's like not reading the room. No one wants to hear you fucking play a keyboard now, Billy Corgan. <laughs> you know, get into a fucking room and fucking rock out with fucking Jimmy Chamberlain and fucking play your guitar again. You know, make some good prog metal. You know, that'd be the perfect music for a fucking bald middle-aged guy to do right now. <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't fucking do it, so fuck him. But not fuck the guy back in the early 90s that did play his fucking guitar and fucking rocked out with Jimmy and James. And create it in Darcy when they were actually not in the studio. <laughs> and you created some fucking awesome progressive heavy metal music. I love this song. That's my rant. What do you think of it, Mike? Oh, man. Another one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all time. You know, one of the heaviest songs on the album. I love Billy's vocals on here. Jimmy's drums hit hard. Only one complaint about it. You know, uh, some fat should have been trimmed. It's a bit too long for me. Yep. It's like a, a three minute to four minute, it would have been a fucking banger. But it's yep. still a standout song. I still fuck with it heavy. All right, That's cool, cool. What do you think, Eric? Uh, I, I agree with Mike, man. It's a fucking killer song, but it definitely should have just been trimmed down. I feel like that the real slow, mellow, like kind of mill section just drags on way too long that it needs to be. Uh, just, it, it goes on too long. You trim this down to like four minutes, it would have been a fucking killer song. But, you know, there's a lot of positive to it, man. Just a badass riff to open it. More killer drumming. Uh, and I love the cool, tri when it slows down, you get the real cool sounding, like, tribal drums. I love yeah. fucking tribal drums. I think those sound fucking killer. Um, very all over the place, but works. But like I said, just should have been, you know, and like Mike said, should have been trimmed down a little bit. You trim this down like four minutes, would have been a fucking classic. But still a really damn good song. Awesome. All right. Very cool. Now we're going to get to Sweet Sweet. Now, Sweet Sweet, to me, is like, remember what we were talking about, what No One was trying to do? 
<laughs> oh God! Yeah, wait, no, no. How dare you compare this to Nona? Jesus! Well, no, no, this was this is what Nona was trying to do. Uh, <laughs> when it was trying to do like a Paul McCartney esque like fragment of a song, but you know, it, but it was like a shitty fragment. Like there was hardly a song there. It was like a little chord progression. Sweet, sweet. I really love. Now it's only a minute and thirty-seven seconds, but again, Billy did his fucking homework. Okay, this is a song that I would say probably nine out of ten fucking mid-range grunge bands or alternative rock bands in the mid-nineties. If they had, they would have fucking turned into a three-minute song and had like tried to have a hit song with, you know, because it's a very catchy melody. Now Billy, he's confident at this point. He's got today. He's got this arm. He knows he's got a couple hits on this album, so he doesn't have to make this a hit song, even though it, it kind of has the potential. It has a really strong, beautiful pop melody, you know, pop rock ballady kind of melody to it. And yet he goes the McCartney route. He's like, no, I'm just gonna make it a little fragment. I'm gonna just make it a little fragment that sets a tone and sets up the last song. And it's confidence. Swagger. I think it's like songwriting swagger when you got a song that has obviously the potential. If it was a little bit longer, that could actually been a hit. And you turn it into this kind of song instead, and it's why, like you know, again, what no one has tried to be, and this is. And so I, and I always thought that as soon as I heard "Sweet Sweet," I thought, oh, it's just like another hit on the that it's going to be another hit song. But then it was over, and it's like, oh no, I guess not because it's over in a minute. So I guess it's something else. But hey. That's that's the kind of thing that albums like this that make a classic album a classic album. It's like when you hear a fragment, like on the White Album, you hear a little bit of a song from McCartney, or you have like you know a little bit of a song like on a Zeppelin album, or a little fragment on Sabbath. Like Billy did his homework. This is that fragment song where you hear a little something that sounds kind of like it could be a hit, but it's over before you know it. It's like a it's just like a whisper. It's gone, you know, and it's a very sweet. And beautiful song, very organic too. It doesn't sound too try hard. Sounds like something you probably wrote in five minutes, but it's beautiful. What do you think of it, Mike? Uh, Eddie broke it down lovely, so I ain't got much to say about it. Just like you know, show the song on the album. A uh, nice little piece of music. Billy said it's about like a homeless person on a train or some shit. That's what I read about it, but yeah, it's a, like a little ditty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you think of it, Eric? Oh man, I fucking love this song. It's just a, a beautiful acoustic tune, and you just have real beautiful, uh, real soft, gentle vocals from Billy. And it's funny you mentioned Edwin; it reminds you of like the Beatles. Uh, this one actually reminded me of, and even though they're not a band I'm necessarily the biggest fan of, I do. There are stuff. There's stuff they do that I really do like. It reminds me a lot of like uh, something from like Zeppelin three. It's real yeah. folky sounding and kind of like that folky acoustic stuff Zeppelin did. Which, in my opinion, my favorite Zeppelin is like the acoustic Zeppelin. You know, going to California, Battle of Evermore, anything off. You know, like the acoustic stuff off Zeppelin three. It reminds me of something like that. It's really good, really beautiful. I kind of wish he maybe would have actually made like a full song out of this because it's only like a one minute. Piece and you can almost kind of tell you use it as like an intro for the next song. I really wish you would just made this a full song. It's just fucking beautiful, man. Great acoustic work. I love it. It is interesting because I want to. I, I think it's cool that he didn't make it a full song, but at the same time, it does sound like it could have been 
a hit song yeah. if he had made it longer. That's the interesting. Like, imagine if, like, Candlebox or Collective Soul had this. They would totally have made it one of their singles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Billy Corgan was, like, <laughs> in such a, a place where he was obviously, like, felt like he didn't need to. And I guess he didn't need to. But it's like, that's that's kind of a hit. He kind of wrote a hit. But yeah. you're, you're doing the... But that's where I agree with the Led Zeppelin But you know what I mean about the Macca thing. Where you take this song and you just make it a fragment, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, it's a beautiful song. So let's talk about Luna. I have uh, mixed feelings about Luna. Uh, which, yeah, a little complicated. For a long time, I would say, even when I was a teenager, I was never crazy about it being at a finale. I might have different feelings now. But... Uh, I felt it was a little underwhelming after everything that happened. And also, like you, Eric, uh, I kind of felt Sweet Sweet was stronger. And I used to yeah. think, like, I used to feel like Sweet Sweet should just been been longer in the ending. That's what I used to think. I've changed my opinion very recently, like today. And I'll explain why I've grown to really love Luna. I do think Luna would be better if Space Boy wasn't before. Like I said, I feel like if the Mellotron came on and it was the first time you heard the Mellotron, it would kind of be a special moment. Um, I feel this. There's something about Luna that it's a very subtle ending. That's all I can say. But I can kind of appreciate it now, especially now that I'm older. It's it's a very subtle ending. It's very upbeat. You know, ends really almost corny with the, you know, I'm so in love with you kind of reframe at the end. But I kind of like that. And that's, it's also another thing that's kind of very anti grunge. It's kind of like, if you look at this album as bookends, Cherub Rock comes on, it's rocking, it's tonally a little grungy, but it's kind of an upbeat song for the most part, Cherub Rock. Because it's saying, like, yeah, fuck it, I don't want to be part of the underground, I want to make money, I want to be a big star. And, and it's rocking. It's kind of fun in its way. And then, and then the album ends with this really kind of syrupy kind of, ooh, I love you, I love you kind of song. Very <laughs> kind of like McCartney-esque, you know, like silly little love songs. It's so against the grain of grunge. Like, could you even a picture what Kirk Cobain would like listen to this song and just smirk contemptuously? <laughs> <laughs> like, and joke to Courtney, like, yeah, you were right to drop that fucking loser. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so fucking cornball. But now that I'm older, I look back, that's kind of fucking awesome that he was so fucking overtly cornball at the song. And and I really like it. It also makes me think of, there's just a real subtlety to the song, a real kind of beauty to Luna that I really like. And like, again, there's more obvious endings, Rocket and uh, Silver Fuck, Soma. There's a couple songs that I think most people would have picked as the ending. But in a way, I think there's something cool about ending it on this kind of corny, subtle love song. And I think Michael get what I'm talking about now. is It's a little like Prince ending Sign of the Times with the door. You oh, know? man, one of the greatest love songs of all fucking time, bro. You know what I mean? Like, it has that yeah. feeling a little bit. It's like we went through this whole fucking dark journey, and this whole wild journey of all these different styles. Now, I'm just going to end it with a a really beautiful, pretty, simple love song. It's kind of like, in a subtle way, it's a mic drop, you know? It's a mic drop. Think of how Kirk Cobain, who was his chief competitor at the time, both romantically, professionally, <laughs> and in terms of his legacy, in a lot of ways that people didn't realize he was competing with Kirk Cobain. Kirk Cobain ends never mind with a really fucking depressing song, <laughs> you know, something in the way, and then a fucking mystery track of punk noise. And Billy... 
fucking goes the opposite direction. I'm going to end with this really kind of 70s-sounding, Mellotron, pretty little silly love song. And obviously, it made Courtney Love go, I'm never fucking Billy Corgan again. (laughs) (laughs) But, but... There's something really cool about it. I I just really dig it. Uh, it's obviously it's not one of my favorite songs from the album by any means, but I think it's a cool way to end the album. I finally, after all these years, have finally grown to really like Luna as the finale of the album. Not one of the best songs, but I do like it for all those reasons and why I think it's a cool way to end it. What do you think of it, Mike? Man, you broke it down lovely, Eddie. I enjoy listening to you talk about it, man. Uh... Cause about you know corny love relationship, man. That heroin pussy must be good. This nigga sprung after like <laughs> two years. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a great way to end the album, though. You know, I do like the song. Like, damn, Billy, two years, bro. Like, shit. Oh, it gets all crazy. Yeah. Starts snarling, bro. <laughs> you know, yeah. You hear how she belts it out during you know like Violet. Imagine her in the sack. Oh, oh man! <laughs> I guess I guess that's some good pussy, man. But I I really don't want to figure out, you know. <laughs> so okay, after okay, did I make you at least conceptually appreciate Luna a little bit better, Eric? <laughs> oh man, uh, is it my turn to talk about this? Song? Okay, but I, oh. I'm saying I'm, whatever you say about, it, like I said, teenage <laughs> Edwin thought it was kind of a weak ending, but but I've lived with this album for a long time. I've been through a lot. Shit, I appreciate it now in a way I didn't back then. But I'm curious what you, as a some guy that just got into Siamese Dream a few, you know, a few days ago, what do you think of Luna? <laughs> oh man, well, well, teenage Eric never heard this song, and thank God he <laughs> never did hear it, because Eric, Eric, uh, adult Eric, excuse me, hates this fucking song. <laughs> oh, this is like this is like a douchebag with a guitar song. This is like the douchebag that comes to a party with an acoustic guitar singing these shitty songs that, to try and get girls to sleep with him. This is like one of those songs he would play. This would be like the first song he plays. Oh, Jesus. I would pull a Jim Belushi on his ass and smash his guitar if he played this. You mean I John guess. Belushi. You mean John Belushi. John Belushi, yeah. I'm a little <laughs> <laughs> this, Oh, this song sucks, man. And not even the sitar could save it. Now, I love me some sitar if you listen to our Beatles episode. Yeah. I love sitar music and not even the sitar in this could save it for me. Holy shit. They should have just ended this album with Sweet Sweet. May do like a longer version of Sweet Sweet. He could add an extra verse or something to that song and may a little bit longer and just end the album with that. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, this is just a terrible fucking song. It's just real cheesy. And I'm gonna end my review of this song with reading a comment. Now, like I said, when I, uh, when I take my notes, I usually go on YouTube to listen to the album. Cause I'll read people's comments and everything. I'll give them maybe a little bit more perspective of the album, what the lyrics may mean, maybe find out some factoids and, uh, hear, like, people's connection with the songs. And I found an amazing, amazing comment on YouTube about this song. So when I looked up this song, I found a comment from YouTube user by the name of Right Said Fred. He said, and I quote, I had my first hemorrhoid after working out to this song 23 years ago. Haven't lifted weight since then, but love to think about being buff and young. 
<laughs> that is one of the greatest fucking quotes I've ever heard about this song. Holy shit. And, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this song while working out, I can picture it giving you hemorrhoids or just fucking up your workout. Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, I gotta say, Eric, you were not as hard on this album as I thought. So, uh, like, yeah, you know, I, I went into it with an open mind because I'm not... It, this isn't like Queen's Like Empire where it's an album by a band I love and like it's yeah. a letdown album. It's just a band I, I heard the singles I wasn't, you know, real impressed by them. So I, I really wanted to go into it with kind of an open mind, you know, and like really give it a chance. And there were some songs, man, I was really surprised by. Uh, but then there's some songs that like I expected, but I definitely feel like maybe I'll give uh, Smashing Pumpkins a, a chance. Maybe I'll dive deeper into some of their other albums and everything and uh, give them more of a chance and see if there's many more stuff I like by them. I think there will be. And uh, when I do recommendations, I'll, I'll actually be recommending to you as well as anyone else right. listening to this. Uh, but uh, any closing thoughts on this album, Mike? Man, it's a great album. It's a big part of my childhood. I used to play this nonstop. Uh, Melancholy is my favorite record. This is number two for me. And I, I highly enjoy this album. It's a staple of the 90s. When you think of the 90s, I think of this record. Yeah, I think nice. it's like one of the definitive '90s albums. To me, it, it does. It, it took me back definitely to my childhood, being in the '90s. Because I mean, I'm pretty sure like I've heard some of these songs in the past. You know, it just it took me back to that time of being a kid in the '90s. You know, hearing stuff like this, you know, on the radio. Yeah, it's one of the big ones. It's up there, with, like Nevermind and Dirt yeah. and you know, Bad Motor Finger, Purple. You know, it's oh, it's yeah. one it's one of those big albums. You know. And it, it brought back, it's a very special album to me for a lot of the reasons I said earlier. And, you know, it's that moment where you listen to something. And like I said, to me, and it's a little different from a lot of people to how they think. It's kind of how I think. But when I heard that the band, that this like underground band that no one else I knew liked, when they, as soon as I heard Siamese Dream, I knew they were going to blow up. Like, all I could say, I was, like, I was kind of proud of them. It sounds corny, but I was, like, proud of them. <laughs> yeah, good for you, Smashing Pumpkins. You're going to have a fucking hit album. You're uh, going places. You're going places. And it made me proud of them. I was happy, you know. But that's a guy, because I'm an inclusive guy. I'm not, like, a guy like some fucking underground fucking punk or indie rock snob that's like, oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't want my band to become big. I was happy for my quote-unquote my band to become big you know and it became very big and in fact i was disappointed when it kind of dropped the fucking ball a few years later i was like hey <laughs> hey big guys come on you could be one of the big bands if you play your cards right billy had the he had the skills you know he was knocking out great songs he had one of the fucking greatest drummers ever in rock music he he if he played things a certain way i smashing pumpkins could have been you know playing stadiums today but he fucking dropped the ball and, you know, this ego gets involved, people get kind of douchey, and, you know, they lose it. They lose it at a certain point. There's just some good shit in the 2000s. Uh, there's some albums I like, some albums that have grown on me. But they never, he, Billy never touched the 90s again. Never made an album as good from Gish to Mechina. You know, it's, it's those five records. Uh, I would actually recommend all of them to you, Eric, except for Adore. I don't, okay. I don't think that's for you. That's their um, kind of a ballady acoustic electronica album. It's oh Jesus! Yeah, I don't think that's for you. I think it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> a lot of Smashing Pumpkins fans don't like it too. I didn't like it when I first heard it. It's actually it's grown on me. So you don't like a door, Mike? 
Nah, that's that black couple with the bitch on the cover, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I bought yeah. that shit back in the day, yeah. Yeah, a lot. It's kind of what ended their career. Like, like they were on a high. Melancholy Infinite Sadness was their biggest album. And then they pretty much let down all these fucking rock and roll fans by releasing a door, which was this kind of ballady, acoustic meets electronica record. It's kind of Joy Division-ish, New Order-ish. It's just, yeah, it, I like it. It's grown on me. I like it. It's, it's definitely one of those like late at night kind of mood albums, but I can understand why it fucking destroyed their career. That and Billy Corgan looking like Fester and getting really gothy looking. It was, it was like a bad combination. It's like, dude, if you just kind of stayed the way you looked in Siamese Dream or wore baseball caps to cover your hairline, whatever, and just kept writing catchy rock songs, you guys could have went someplace, you know? But anyway, uh, they kind of brought it back with Mechano. Mechano is kind of a nice uh, mixture of styles. But what I would recommend to you, Eric, is I, I would go right to the first album. I go to Gish. Gish. Actually, all the songs you like best are kind of like songs that are on Gish. All right. Yeah, and that's my personal favorite album. Siamese Dream's my second favorite Smashing Pumpkins album. Uh, well, do we... I'm count, I count Pisces Iscariot. Is it, do you pronounce it Iscariot? Is that how you say it? Iscariot. Yeah, yeah I, I count that as an album. I know it's B-sides, but, you know, they. it's kind of like arranged like an album. You know, it's like sequenced like an album. So I consider it a fucking album. And that came out after Siamese Dream. That would be the other album I'd recommend. So I'm going to recommend uh, two albums for you, Eric. Go to Gish, which is the album for it, and Pisces Iscariot, which is the album comprised of B-sides from both Gish and Siamese Dream era. I would recommend both those albums. And that's like my third album. And then, if you like that shit dive into Melancholy. You know, Melancholy's their sweeping double album. It's like their white album. It, yeah. I think it, we were going to do, we were, that was one of the albums I suggested. We were going to do a review, just you yeah. and me, and we ended up doing Hot in the Shade, but we're like, we need to do a double album, and you recommend that, and I, I was yeah. just like, man, that's a double album. It's an album I'm not familiar with. I need so much time to research that. Yeah, Let's you need to research it. Plus, yeah. Mike, I, I knew if Mike was going to be on it, it would just be too long. It's a fucking double album, you know? Yeah. Talking <laughs> for five hours. Fucking well, that is the one with the stand. one song I, I really yeah, love by Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, I actually, this is the thing, I think you might like Melancholy the best, actually. But, and it definitely actually, there are songs that are more heavy metal on Melancholy than anything okay. else. But it's very, there's a lot of contrast. Again, like the White Album, like how there's songs like Martha My Dear and Helter Skelter. It's like a sampler. Yeah, there are songs like uh, XYU and stuff that are like the heaviest fucking songs Smashing Pumpkins ever did, like, where boys fear to tread and shit. Zero, if you know that. Ah, that's fucking Zero Risk, bro. Fucking, it's like a Judas Priest song. It's fucking, nice. and Billy Corgan cited Judas Priest as an influence for the song. It's awesome. It, like, it's very heavy metal. But then there's songs like Tonight Tonight in 1979 where it's very poppy. It's very there's like he goes full on with the contrast. Yeah, like, like no, 1979. I just I I I just can't. I hate that song. To I me, that, can that never has, get into it. That has a that's another song that I think does have a cheap trick quality to it. I think it has a real cheap trick quality to it. But you know, I hear it. it's not you know it's not one of my favorite songs, but I do think it's a really uh, well written pop rock song. You know, uh, but. Well, I'd say Melancholy is like a tour de force. It's Billy at the peak of his writing abilities, and it's like, this is everything. This is everything I can do. 
and he throws it all out there and it's a trip. But I would actually still go to the other albums first because I think you'll appreciate Melancholy even more after listening. Because I know you'll like Gish and Pisces Iscariot from what you said. I know you'll like it. And then go to Melancholy, dive into Melancholy. And if you like Melancholy, give Mechina a shot. And then that's it. Then never listen to any other Smash and Pumpkins album. That would be my recommendation. What do you think, Mike? Is that a decent recommendation for Eric? I would say so, yeah. Yeah. So there, there you go. And that's my recommendation to people listening to this goddamn podcast. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It was awesome to have you on the show. And, to, you know, to finally get you on the show, we'll have you on again, of course. You're awesome. An awesome guest to have. Do you have uh, any uh, recommendations? Uh, anything you'd like to plug? And also plug your show again. I just want to say thank you guys so much, man. I, I appreciate course. it. The door's open for both of y'all and time to miss for sure. Um, yes. Speak Club Podcast, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, maybe Saturday, man. And catch me dropping my Metal and Rock reviews like out of nowhere. I just, I just drop them, you know what I'm saying? So. Just when you're feeling it. I mean, that's yeah. the, you may, it's kind of similar to my YouTube channel where I drop a lot of different shit. Like, you know, if I'm feeling this, I drop it, feel that, you know. With this show, we kind of stay on just rock and metal for the most part. But on my YouTube channel, I like to do different stuff. And that's the thing. You know, what was so cool about Mike's channel is, you know, it's mainly hip-hop, but he does Black Sabbath. And yeah. I, I feel like you're going to do all this shit, too. I have a feeling you're going to drop all the rock stuff, right? I know it's telling you. I noticed too. You talk about you know because I'm a big wrestling fan. You talking about I saw you had like a couple wrestling videos. That I still need to check out because I fucking love old school like fucking WWF man Attitude Era and all that oh, shit. Oh yeah, all day, Hell yeah, yeah, my shit. Yeah, so if you like wrestling too, check out Mike's uh, channel. It's great in his show. And th- anything good you're listening to this week? Any album you want to recommend, or a movie, or just any shit that you think is cool? Porno or something? Anything. Yeah, it could be anything. <laughs> anything. Or a, 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 a food, you know, a kind of food you ate. Anything. <laughs> recommend something. Let's fucking see. Uh, death leprosy, man. What? What's that? What's death it? leprosy? Eighty-eight. Fucking death metal. Death. The band Death. Oh yeah, I know Death. Yeah. Oh 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 oh, you're saying Death Slapperse? Oh, I thought you said Death Slapperse. Oh, that album. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought that me and Eric both thought you were saying like there's a group like that was a combination of Death Leopard and Leprosy. <laughs> no, oh, Death Slapperse. Yeah, that album's awesome. I love Hell it. Yeah. I, I had it on uh, my iTunes on shuffle. The motherfucking pull the plug came on, so I recommend that. Hell yeah! It's awesome yeah. album. Yeah, I love. I've been getting into Death recently. Yeah, they're a badass band. Yeah, they're a band I've been getting into as well. Very prog- yeah. more progressive than I think a lot of people would realize. Like, yeah, it's death metal, but they do a lot of interesting shit. I got music. that leprosy on vinyl too, man. Oh, that probably sounds awesome on yeah. vinyl. I don't have that on vinyl. Do you, you know what? Smashing Pumpkins, uh, to bring it back to them, they sound great on vinyl. Gish fucking sounds awesome on vinyl. They, well, yeah, you're saying they're almost like a headphone, a headphone yeah. band, so definitely on vinyl they probably sound amazing. Yeah, because it's all like a lot of tones, you know, like guitar tones. A lot of like hidden stuff, too, because yeah. they got a lot of like layers and stuff to their music. I also noticed, you ever notice like bands that have great drummers always sound better on vinyl, too? Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Drums just pop, man, that's the thing. And Jimmy, again, he's like Bill Ward. He's just one of these drummers that pops. So when you put on vinyl, Jimmy just sounds really good. So, yeah, I definitely recommend. Also, I'm going to throw in one more recommendation. Smashing Pumpkins on vinyl. 90s Smashing Pumpkins. 
And Eric, uh, you got any recommendations? Oh man, so there's uh, definitely an album I want to recommend. Uh, this band, they they were kind of they're one of the newer bands, like newer. Uh, what's that called? The new wave of traditional heavy metal. Yeah. Um, they're an amazing fucking band. They're kind of inactive for a while. I know their singer, uh, their singer, and uh, basically the band leader. He was going through some personal issues, uh, and he just kind of resurfaced. And hopefully, their new album should be coming out soon. But I want to recommend the band Sabir and their EP uh, Gates Ajar. Holy shit, man! If I mean, if you like Wasp, you're gonna love this band. They look like Wasp. They sound a hell of a lot like Wasp. Like, they got the Chris Holmes guitar tone down, like, perfectly. Uh, the singer sounds like a cross between Blackie Lawless and David King from Fastway. But, oh, man, uh, check out Gates Ajar by Sabir. It's their, it's like a six-track EP, so it's a little bit longer than your standard EP, man. But, man, this is just a fucking killer band. They got so much great material, and I really cannot wait for their uh, their new album to come out. It's just what a phenomenal band. They got a great look, great stage presence, and they, they got great songs to match, man. So uh, check out Gates Ajar by Sabir. Awesome. I have that EP, and I agree. It's great. Uh, oh, amazing. Great to, I mean, it sounds like it was recorded in the early 80s. Like you wouldn't Yeah, know they have that know. old school uh, production sound. Yeah, it's a lot Wasp meets like early Motorhead. Like it just, yeah. Uh, love the vibe. way. Yeah, a little fast way too. Well, Eddie Clark, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I dig. You ever hear them, uh, Mike? Never heard of them, man. But I love Wasp. Shout out to Eric's fucking picture, Chris Holmes. Hell yeah, yeah, man. That fucking Budweiser guitar and shit. The battle. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah this like early uh, dirty Wasp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, if you want to listen to Severe Man, I guess the first song I'd recommend to you, man, uh, is. Uh, it's called Demons Calling. It's spelled kind of weird. They spell demons with like an A and an E. But yeah. man, if if you're gonna listen to one song by Severe, man, Demons Calling. Holy shit, that is amazing. Fuck yeah, I'll keep that tonight. Awesome. And I'm gonna watch the today uh, video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, this is great. Thank you so much, Mike. I yeah, thank you, fun. Mike. Thank and you, brothers. Yeah, I had a lot of fun talking about this album. And I guess that's it. We're wrapping up. So oh, yeah. Keep on rocking, fucking people. Do it. Rock all over you. That's right. All right. Later. Peace out, guys. Night, guys. Peace. Night. Yeah.